Hey everybody, welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast, number 85. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Trauma, and of course, somewhere out there is Liverpool Neil. Say hi, Neil. Hello, everybody. Good to talk to you all again, even though it only feels it's like, like we 12 hours. Just, oh, we were just doing this several hours ago. <laughs> yeah, pull back yeah we were. Little... Busy weekend, buddy. Busy weekend. Spending half my weekend in my bed, my, fortress, my pillow fortress of solitude, my recording studio. So... Um, <laughs> Of course, you can reach us at Punk Till I Die podcast on Facebook or Punk Till I Die 77 at Gmail. So um, I, I probably should let Neil do the introduction today. We have another guest with us from the land of super COVID. So why don't you go ahead and, <laughs> let's go ahead and introduce him, Neil. Okay. Yeah, today we have a, uh, a guest, um, someone I've known for, damn, what is it, Ed? 35 years now. Shit, how time flies, huh? But uh, this is Ed. Uh, he used to be known as Ed Shred, but I don't think he probably goes by that moniker anymore. Um, You'd be Ed? surprised. Yeah, really? Oh, okay. Well, there <laughs> yeah, you go. Oh, yeah. Some some people won't let it die, but uh, no, it's good. So, um, well, yeah, that's hi, what I, everyone. Yeah, that's what I googled when I was researching. So, what Ed Shred? Yeah. Ed Shred. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So Ed, <laughs> uh, originally of uh, the Stupids fame, and then but numerous, numerous other bands. I think you've been in every band in England for the last thirty years. It looks like. I've been trying. I've yeah. missed a few, but <laughs> just right said Fred was the only one you haven't been in. Right said Ed. <laughs> Rolling Stones. English so you, joke there. So you guys did know each other before. I was going to ask you that. Did you guys grow up around each other, or you just have known each other from Ed's playing in bands, or what's the relationship between you two guys? Um, interesting story. So um, this goes. I'll back be the to... judge of that, Neil. Oh, no, it's okay. This goes back to the days of uh, being like pen pals, right? Where you'd buy a record mm -hmm. and then there'd be an address on the back of the record or in maximum rock and roll or something. And you would write to the band if they interested you. So I got the stupids, uh, violent nun EP, the first EP. Yeah. And you know, they were an English like skate punk band and they were like yeah. basically yeah. the only ones at the time. So, um, I wrote in and Tommy wrote back and then we got to be you know kind of pen pals through that and they actually went down they were having like a, a skate day in london and um so i mean ed, uh ed lives down he, well, he lived in ipswich at the time but it's closer to london than i am so we ended up meeting up in london um and uh we went Ooh. skating for a weekend and then just kind of stayed friends you know like that like pen pals and stuff and he actually came <laughs> up and stayed with me one weekend right ed do you remember that that that's right you know and in fact i'd forgotten about the london thing i know that we met through you and tommy being pen pals yeah um and we were super excited that um that you'd written because like you had like i think more than one skateboard with, at the time right and you'd also <laughs> been to america and seen some actual american hardcore bands uh which was also pretty exotic um but yeah so what did we do in london did we where did we stay did we sleep on like a station floor or something we or did, did. We actually... Yeah, okay. we, yeah, we did. I came down on the Saturday morning and we met up mm -hmm. and we went to, geez, I don't even know where we went, but we skated meanwhile and we skated mm -hmm. a couple of um, uh, Kennington. Yeah, yeah, Kennington. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and I believe we were supposed to sleep in a squat with uh, one of those thrash bands from back then, but mm -hmm. we couldn't get in. So yeah, we ended up sleeping on the floor of the... I don't know if it was Victoria Station or one station. We slept on the floor all night and then went to Romford the next day because it was Rom Day, 85. Uh, Rom Day, of course. Yeah. Wow, damn. So was that – because I, I have a memory of sleeping on the floor of um, Euston Station. Yes. Um, and there was a there had been a Springsteen concert in town. 
And I seem to, I yeah. have this thing where I was definitely with Tom. And so it's probably a skate trip. And we ended up sleeping on the floor at uh, Houston Station with like hundreds of Springsteen fans because they'd come out of the show because he played for the usual 17 hours or something. <laughs> and uh, and they'd all miss their trains home out of out of, um, out of London. And Houston serves the north, right? So that could have been where we'd, um, where we'd have been staying. It might have been that night. I don't know. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't remember which station it was. All I remember was, for some reason, I had this gigantic fucking bag with me with, like, two boards <laughs> and, like, leather jacket and all kinds of shit. And we were trying to lug this thing around, you know? Yeah, going, not the well, way to do with kind of going around town I, to I have, skate sports. I have two two comments on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. One is, I, I can't, I mean, that is that is a punk rock story, Neil. Especially considering now, like, you can't stay up past 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and he used to sleep on the station floor. I no love that. Shit. But also, was that like something that people do? Because I think if you do that in America, you like get maced or something, right? <laughs> the cops beat you with a stick. Yeah, I don't think get away I think, with it. I think you have to actually get on the train and go to sleep or something. I don't know. Well, there's no, no trains. Times, times, yeah, times have changed. It, it, it's, I mean, yeah, that's a really good comment, and it really shows how how far the needles moved, right? Um, on all this stuff it used to be a lot easier to do that kind of stuff there weren't any trains but the station just stayed open you know and you could just um so while people were cleaning up around you you could just go and sleep because some people i guess would miss their trains it's kind of the humane thing to do to let people sure. who miss their trains kind of sleep on the floor for a couple of hours but i think now yeah you get kind of cattle prodded out of there pretty sharpish right yeah hmm. yeah and it's kind of weird looking back that i mean over here i mean trains would still run all night it is kind of weird that the train service just stops when you think when you think about <laughs> it like that right i mean it's just yeah. kind of odd it's probably strong unions and stuff right you know that kind of thing yeah, and, and also a, the fact we don't that, have you that know, in the, yeah well you know and we're using the uk to things i mean we're just getting out of the mindset that things have to shut at 11 p.m doesn't matter what it is right i mean we've kind of moved beyond <laughs> that in in recent years world so war ii no, mentality yeah yeah, exactly. That's it. So there's yeah. No now way. everything and now everything's shut down either permanently or yes. like shuts down at like nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, just just to tarry, just again to a bit more context, but hopefully an interesting way. So around that same time, Neil, we we got in touch with some guys from DC who again friend pals of Tom's, and they were coming over to stay with him from um, one summer. This would be the summer of '86, so which probably band, the year after we was met that? you. Which band was um, that? So it's the guys that went on to become Shudder to Think. So um, is the hmm. bass player and the singer before Craig, the, the 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 eventual singer. So anyway, they flew over, and we're still friends with them now. But but we went to Heathrow Airport the night before because their flight got in really early. And um, we just skated around Heathrow Airport and and literally just they had these tunnels. They're all deserted. You know, those kind of moving walkway things. Yes. Yeah. We were, sk- we were skating along those, just me and Tom, just on our own in, in the uh, in the airport. And then their flight got in at whatever o'clock in the morning and we grabbed some sleep on a, a bench and we were just there. You know, but that you couldn't imagine doing that now. No, you Jesus definitely would be Christ. shot on sight. Yeah, you'd be shot on sight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And it was actually yeah. just a good it was a fun thing to do, you know. Yeah, and and harmless in the grand yeah. scheme of things, right? Of course, exactly. Yeah, uh, skateboarders hmm. aren't harmless. Damn it, doing damage wherever they go. <laughs> we so, wanted so... to be arrested. We wanted the credibility of, of being arrested. But <laughs> yeah, there happen. you go. <laughs> Fighting with the bobbies. So, <laughs> so the only band of yours that I really am familiar with, Ed, is the Nuns, and this actually kind of is full circle because stupid. I'm sorry, the Nuns, the stupids. Yes, the <laughs> stupids. <laughs> Because you, we, when Neil and I first started doing this show, we used to do this segment where it was like, hey, I'm going to listen to something. You know, you listen to something that I really liked from when I was a kid, and you listen to something I really liked from when I was a, a kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of forced each other to listen to things. And one of the first things he had me listen to was The Stupid's Violent Nun. And I, I kind of had forgotten how much I loved it, actually, because I, I've i been listening to it again now, and I'm sort of obsessed with it. But 
I think that was actually before your time in the band, right? Yeah, so I, I joined, well, yeah, it's a sliding scale. I was like a fifth Beatle for, for a while. I went to school with um, with Tom, who's really the main guy in the band. Yeah. And by Violet Nun, he'd kind of shifted onto drums because he's, he's an exceptional musician anyway, but he's a fantastic drummer. And um, so he'd moved to drums. They, they were kind of like the kind of what they call the kind of knock them dead lineup. So it's Tommy, Marty and Wolfie. And they were the kind of the real band. And they were together probably actively for a couple of years. They did that EP. Uh, they did the first album called Peru- Peruvian Vacation and then it started kind of falling apart and so I'd kind of been kind of I wasn't actively hanging out with them as a group when they recorded that so I kind of came onto the scene in terms of the stupids although I know knew Tom before then kind of around the time when they were starting to um record the first album so that would be about six months later um but yeah i was i was a huge fan i mean they were they were great they were these snotty annoying kids who were like two years younger than i was and they produced this that that well it was from a tape called leave your ears behind and they took a few tracks off it and then released it as as the violent on ep but it's astonishing um for the uk back then and the fact it was kind of just these these little kids I knew, you know, who everyone, I mean, even the punk scene, they weren't, they never fitted into the Ipswich punk scene, like in terms of the look and feel. I mean, they were really good friends with most people, but there were still these kind of weird little irritating kids. And I I wouldn't, Let's let's cast our minds back. So we're talking like yeah. eighty three in England. So it's is crass and you know very dark, very political type stuff. Meat right? and, and all that crap. Yeah. yeah, and then you had the stupids who were just like yeah these young snotty kids skateboarding mm. right that didn't fit yeah. in at all right. So mm. no, it very much was not what the prevailing thing. And and it's it's funny you know Tom's always had this thing I guess and I comes on always into his mouth. But it's like you know you kind of find some group that you know comes some group of outsiders and then you kind of subvert that group by not wanting to join that group even. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like they were kind of punk rockers, but they were still had that distance, you know. Um, and so that's what attracted me to it, I think. And just the fact that it was it, for some reason it was that, you know, it's why other people like it. Right. It's, it's just really well played, kind of accessible, but at the same time kind of really well. Now it's not super fast sounding, but back then, damn, that was that was impressive. Um, and it's funny as well. You know, there was some really interesting humor. humor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But also this kind of brattiness, you know, this kind of they yeah. got a song. I don't like nobody. You know, I can't remember what the words are, but it's something like I'm, you know, I, sh- I shout when I'm not mad. I'm hit when I'm not bad. Shit like that. I mean, that's 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 in, that's impressive. That kind of stuff. And a little it's, bit of like talking between songs, almost like a yeah. kind of like a little mini skit kind of yeah. situation. right? Yeah. And that became a thing that kept going so yeah so i kind of joined over the next couple of years as kind of wolfie the bass player left so i played bass on the second album for a bit i'd already started writing lyrics i think at that point and then i became the live singer because they had this split vocal thing going on but tommy was it's obviously hard playing drums and singing especially in a hardcore band like a thrash band right so they, sure. they wrote me into play to do vocals live and then yeah, when we came over, I think the last time I saw you, Neil, was at the the Metro in Chicago, right? That's probably the last time we, we actually were in the same room together. That is correct. That would have been <clears throat> um, 86 or 87. And you guys yeah. were warming up for the, uh, <laughs> at that Kreutzen. point, at that yeah. point, there was the heavy metalish ish Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mm. Who- who literally seemed to play behind a wall of dry ice. I remember every song during the set, like a kind of yeah. guitar head stick out yeah. of, of the mist. And that was it. You couldn't see the band the rest of the time. But um, yeah, so on that tour, I was playing guitar and singing, and I wasn't even supposed to be playing guitar on that tour. I was originally, I flew over a couple of weeks early to go to DC, and I was supposed to be just doing vocals. Um, and then the guitar player decided he couldn't make it. So I got a phone call saying, hey, you, you're on guitar, <laughs> which is which is a great way to start your first U.S. tour. Uh, you know, 
but it's, that was the way it was. So did you have to like borrow a guitar from Ian McKay or something? So it's funny. I borrowed a guitar from Pete Murray from Marginal Man, which is very cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pete's yeah. just the nicest guy. And so we was, so the other thing is we didn't – the stupids at that point also – because we didn't have a bass player really. So Stuart from Shudder to Think was playing bass for us. And so I was staying at his house, and he shared a, a group house with some of the other – musicians and so pete murray was there and he's like oh dude you need a guitar and i was like yeah please and he goes yeah sure just take this which is which is cool right because that was late 86 you know it's it's still it's still a punk rock tour it shit can happen right and he's just lent me his guitar which is super nice of him and uh but at the time you're just like oh hey man thanks you don't think about like fucking hell he just gave me a guitar like worth several hundred dollars and just said yeah there you go it was very cool very nice now, how were the how were the guys from Dykroitzen? Were they were they nice, or did you never see them because of the dry ice? I, yeah, I, I I have no memory of that. I think we were just more excited that you were there, really, and that we were you know playing like Chicago, which is which is cool. Oh, oh, so was it was it a whole tour? Did you do a whole whole tour with those guys? No, oh, no, no, oh, no. Just, okay. They okay. were they were the local they were the local headliners. So we were on tour with this um, um, New York crossover band called Ludicrist. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Who were the nicest people? We were. Yeah, they were cool too. They were really, we were terrified. We saw that because they had the album that came out and we saw, because um, this guy called, I can't even remember his name, Johnny, Johnny, oh God, Johnny, he literally, the, the, the name has got Frog in it somewhere. I'm not sure if his name was Johnny Frog or something. I can't remember, but he was Tommy's contact in New York who basically booked the tour for us. And I probably really insulted him. His name's probably something really normal, but he had green hair or something. I don't know. And I never met him, but he'd sorted this tour out. And so Ludacrist were, they provided the van and the backline, and we just kind of did the tour with them. And uh, so we got their album before we two band, two bands in one van. Yeah, yeah, it was, and we had nice. a U-Haul as well. U-Haul as well. There's eleven of us, I think. Luckily, we were a three-piece, so that kind of helped. Um, but they, they, what was it? Yeah. So they're like this New York, you know, and we're like like Neil. I don't know. What, I don't know what the thing is in in America about this kind of the working class nature of the punk scene. But in England, Neil will tell you that that's certainly the roots of it in in many people's eyes, right? I would contest that maybe it was a little bit more arty and middle class at the start in some cases, right? But definitely in the '80s, it was this kind of prevailing idea that yeah. you know I've always gone through my life as a punk rocker feeling like I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of you know, I'm operating under false pretenses. You know, my parents are both kind of high school teachers and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, so I'm <laughs> looking firmly at... You're firmly middle class. Yeah, exactly, you know, and that's fine. But that's just kind of, you know, it depends what, what scene you're in. So these New York guys looked absolutely terrifying on, on, the, on the, um, yeah. the album sleeve. And the guitarist was called um, Joe Butcher, which, which terrified <laughs> me because he's like a seven-foot skinhead called Joe Butcher. And, <laughs> and you just think... Oh my God, you know, and there was some, there was some sort of trepidation, but of course they were literally the nicest people ever. They were just so nice. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, we had no money or anything and it, it was, you know, many hours in the van and we hadn't got any experience from touring the UK and Europe of playing a show and literally packing up the van and driving to the next show. Cause if you didn't, you wouldn't get there in time, you know, cause some of the distances were so big between, right. between shows. Yeah. We had no real concept of that. It didn't happen every night, but there were a few, few nights where we had to do that. And it's like, damn, you know, so I'll tell you what, we should probably put in a stupid song. I would say that. we should. Yeah. We should yeah. say it probably. So Ed, you had picked, um, heard it all before, right? I did. Yeah. So this is off the second album, which I really like. I'm not going to mention the name of it because we're in a, a living in a reconstructed world. But uh, yeah, uh, I heard it all before. And it's a song I wrote. Uh, I've read it. Well, I, I wrote the words and it's about my mum. <laughs> like, get off my back, mum. It's, <laughs> it's, it's about your mum. 
<laughs> You're welcome. That was mom's 90 years old, and he tries to go see her as often as he can, right? <laughs> She's 79, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. I do see her as often as I can. But yeah, she used to give me lots of shit when I was trying to be in a band and not have a real job. You know the way it is. So. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so this is the uh, Stupids with Heard It All Before. You brat. Beastie brat. Who? For it, switch, man. Beastie brat. Skate. All right. I want to say the last word. Heard it all before by the stupids. Um, excellent stuff. And so you're really not going to say the name of the album, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which album's that, that Neil? Like, if that was like Beatman influenced. That would be Retard Picnic, everybody. That would uh, be. From nineteen right. from 1986. And the cover art is fantastic. And again, that's another reason why I loved you guys. Because of, the, of the, the cover was, art was great. And the cover art for Peruvian very, Vacation was great too. Beatman-ish. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Yes. So that was done by a friend. Again, I mean, I don't want anyone to labor under the misapprehension that Stubes was anything to do with me in terms of like it was all Tom's. Initially, Wolfie as well. They had to kind of develop that kind of, they bonded over Zippy the Pinhead and kind of the Ramones, kind of the kind of that whole sort of geeky uh, Ramonesy thing. You know, and that's one of the blueprints they took forward you know, un- unconsciously, I guess, but that's what kind of bonded them. And so there was, um, I think there's a guy at school with Tom. Uh, who could do the, the the cartoon? So he just got his friend to draw some stuff. He kind of directed, but yeah, this it's it's really interesting stuff. <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah, you guys love the uh, <laughs> the elephant man. It seems there's a lot a lot of elephant man pictures and stuff. <laughs> but, and uh, yeah, the, the, the thing that impressed me about it because there's songs that are like blazing fast, what you call like skate punk, what would become skate punk, which wasn't really a thing even barely at that time, was just developing. But there's other songs where they have like a rock and roll riff where it's more similar to like anti nowhere league or something where it, you know what I mean? The album actually has a, <laughs> there you go. Good... Right. anti nowhere league. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> well, I think the album has a pretty good variety of sound considering it's a, you yes. know, a 17 minute punk album or whatever. I think there's a pretty good, you know, Neil and I talk about the, how problem with a lot of these modern bands is every song sounds exactly the same. Oh yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. I'm so, so on board with that. Absolutely. So, and that's obviously one of the reasons why I really like them because I think there was stuff you could get into that was influenced by different stuff. And, and, you know, like I said, Tom is just really exceptional. He he knows how to write a song. He, he knows what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, I, he took stuff like I can hear stuff from that first Jupiter album. I know where they took that stuff from and it just, you know, but they've made it their own. And, um, and 
it just packaged it up really nicely and it just sounds it's really effective that it cuts through you know it's it's interesting i don't think i've ever known a band so you're saying that this that tom who's the main force force behind the band mm-hmm. kind of diminished his own role to the point where he was the drummer that's very he, unusual. Usually, it, you, it you is, know, the, yeah. it's just usually that that's too much. There's too much ego usually for a front man to do that. I think it's interesting, you know, and that's kind of, I guess, one of the reasons maybe why I eventually ended up leaving kind of. But I think at this at the same time, if you've never met Tom, right, when he was in his in his heyday of bratty teenage self-assurance <laughs> and also riddled with self-doubt and complexity, he was someone that. <laughs> Even if he was behind the drum kit, you could not ignore that guy at all. Do you know right. what I mean? And and so when actually we got into the rhythm of like the kind of so the lineup that most people know because we did we got quite popular in the mainstream press for eighteen months or so. You know, was me on guitar, Steve on bass, and uh, and Tommy on drums. And so we ended up with kind of doing a dual vocal thing. So I he'd sing half a song, I'd sing half a song. Which and so he was, you know, sometimes he'd do that thing like I seen other drummers do it, where between songs he'd stand up and walk out and just insult the audience a bit or just have a chat. So it was very much. You know, it's like a weird kind of a stupid. I've, there's a one show on the on the internet from 1987 in Manchester University, which is exactly how I remember being in the band. It was just, it's kind oh, of Neil, chaos. Neil's Neil's alma mater, right? Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, there I was. Go, I'd been right. gone. I'd been gone for a year by that point, a year or two. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really great show. It ends up with Tom throwing a cymbal into the crowd at one point and we're like <laughs> dropping it into the crowd. And then there's members of the instigators turn up and we found some shredded paper backstage and we just tipped pounds and pounds of shredded paper into the crowd which obviously then came back to haunt us but it sounded it was almost like the whole thing's just like a rehearsal you know yeah, like yeah. the audience kind of half incidental and then just half there to you kind of provide abuse or something it's, it was really fun but yeah so it's a good point Tom but I think that he he managed to um, overcome the potential sort of uh, uh, barrier of a drum kit by just being himself really I mean, and, so, you, and you guys were reasonably. I mean, you guys made. Didn't you guys make the cover of Thrasher or something like that? Don't I, do I remember that that you were on the cover so, of Thrasher? Yeah, I don't know if we we're on the cover. We were on a, a couple of, or one, maybe two, but certainly one Thrasher uh, thing. Tommy's got his own Thrasher T-shirt, so he got featured in a Thrasher T-shirt. Um, and then we we're on the cover of Sounds, the NME. We did. Oh, that's I, right. Okay, yeah. I did like eight Peel sessions. I think three with the Stupids or something. So you know, we had had our moment. For uh, sure. Wow, you did Peel sessions. See, that was that's pretty. Yeah. Uh, how do you say a pretty big deal in England, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Was. Yeah, and yeah. he's he's a he's a he's a saint. <laughs> well, in terms is of he? the way he treated musicians. Uh, well, Peel, now he's actually dead, right? So he's exactly. A saint, right? Yeah, <laughs> but no, he's a super good guy. I mean, he really he 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 changed probably Neil's life as much as mine in terms of he was often for from many of us guys he was like the kind of gateway into a whole world of interesting music. Yeah, because because this is this is the time, Tom, where um when uh. England only had it had four radio stations basically, just like it only had two TV stations or three TV stations that had four radio sure. stations. And Radio One played the music for the kids, right? And it would just be like shit pop music all day. But then yeah, but they John Peel, they could still play the they could still play the Pogues Christmas song without editing it, though, Neil. Yeah, that's true. But uh, the the John <laughs> Peel um, John Peel would come on at ten o'clock, ten till midnight, and he'd play. <laughs> whatever he wanted to play and it was yeah. uh you know he was the first one to play punk rock and all that kind of stuff so yeah john peel was monumental in uh in that everybody would listen to it everybody would tape it and all that stuff so yeah some of those peel sessions of those early punk bands the peel sessions are better than the records yeah because yeah because they'd be recorded live <laughs> in the studio right right it's like the slits right like yeah. the slits peel sessions is pretty good the first one but the slits albums are <laughs> eh. yeah the slits, you're being nice there slits albums i think are terrible but well, yeah. the first one's all right but yeah. 
So did you guys ever do? Did you guys ever do anything with your peel sessions? I mean, do you have them on a tape somewhere? Is there like a, a dream someday of pressing those to vinyl or something? Or are they? Oh no, yeah, they've they've been pressed a few times, I think. So yeah, okay. there's a few came out. There's there's a label called Strange Strange Fruit, which um, peels. I think peels manager because peel had a manager, right? And um, I think he started up a label called Strange Fruit so years ago. So if you ever look, Neil, do you remember seeing those kind of generic covers? Yes, um, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got. I think one or two of the sessions came out on that and then another session came out and I, you know, these things just appear, right? You don't know how they are, but it was like, it's a really cool collectible. It's a seven inch on red vinyl. I think one of the stupid sessions came out like that. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, so they have come out and no and, money, you know, no money to the band. Well, you got paid at the time. You see, you used to get paid 80 pounds per member, right? Which really? is yeah, to go so on peel sessions. Wow. Yes. That surprises me. And then you got, I think 40 pounds every time it got replayed. So normally he, he, he repeats every session unless he absolutely detested it for whatever reason. Right. And, and if you really liked, he'd play it three times. So you get, you know, you get a little bit of money. So for a three piece band, that was a problem, right? Because it was actually the most you got paid in the year, probably for the, for music. So we started this thing of bringing in other people to do hand claps and the old back. And <laughs> right? That's great. And then it ended up with, we, we, a few years later when snuff went and did their first peel session, they took about five of us along to do backing vocals. And then, and then uh, Peel's producer, John Walters, got in touch with us and said, right, that's it. From now on, no one except the core members of the band are getting paid, right? Because cause Snuff netted like nine times 80 pounds, right, for a three-piece <laughs> band, you know? And uh, so it, so they put a stop to that. But that was, yeah, because that was, I guess, for other bands going in, you know, in the kind of late 70s, early 80s, probably proper bands like The Clash or The Damned, you know, they didn't need that much money. They were playing a lot but for us we were sure. completely broke you know so it was a good revenue stream for us and the canteen was amazing really cheap food as well so we went there for the food too <laughs> That's a so so the, the so the stupids have actually reformed a few times over the years were you part of that or when you or, or had you kind of cut ties in the late 80s or whenever you left so i think yeah i left in 88 and then they carried on for about a year but they for whatever reason couldn't replace me who is the worst guitarist they ever had but i think it's about the dynamic right it's not about who can play guitar or something you've played quite a few reason. bands i doubt you're the worst guitar player they ever had but I, I... well you know the stupids for, for they they have they are all exceptionally good musicians i don't know how i quite ended up in that in that band musically but yeah so they they carried on for a bit and it just and then i think tom was maybe losing you know he'd been in a great band and then his two main guys had left and then they replaced him with us and he ended up it's kind of and i think the last time steve the bass player kind of just walked out of the rehearsal room because the new the latest guitarist wasn't working and he just picked up his bass and walked out and tom's like oh, i guess we just split up you know so he moved to the states did some stuff and then yeah they 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 did a reform thing in 2008 i believe that's when it was they got together and started rehearsing tom with the original guitar player and they got a new bass player in and they asked me to come and sing at the first show that they did and it was really weird kind of seeing like the like the eagles or something where they didn't actually call me that the label phoned me because oh, i was God. on the same label <laughs> and that's like right from the start feeling this just doesn't feel right but i thought weird, you know that was yeah. it was fun it would be good you know make me feel 19 again let's give it a go and it was just a total mistake it was awful so we did one show and then they made plans to do any other shows without telling me they didn't want me to do them and i got really kind of hurt by that and stuff so so yeah so they've i think actually been together again since 2008 really and and now one of my best friends is playing bass which is kind of an interesting dynamic again um because he was the guitarist in my current band until recently as well so he's in my band and the stupids and there was this whole thing about you know we got offered we both got offered support for the moving targets and 
I didn't want to play it because they were playing it. They didn't want to play it because I was playing it. And then we both, oh, it, was, it was, it's classic. It's a soap opera, the whole thing. But they are still going and, you know, they're just better than ever musically um, doing their thing. You know, it's just, it's just not, I'm not, not involved anymore. See, I, it, I found that weird because he became, Tommy became a, he became like a DJ or something, right? He a famous DJ or something yeah, like that no, absolutely he? yeah yeah no so he's he's like a he's a major he's a major force i mean like i said he's he's a musician right he can do pretty much anything i reckon and he's been specializing for years now in i'm going to get the whole genre thing wrong but kind of drum and bass i guess is, yeah yeah, is yeah where he started and he, he djs but he, he's also an artist in his own name so he, he performs under the name clute most of the time like the movie the jane fonda movie mm-hmm. yeah K- i saw uh, that k-l-u-t-e yeah. k-l-u-t that's right he's a huge fan of the movie i remember talking about that with him years ago it's a great movie so he kind of goes under the name clute uh, i think as well that's one of his personas but he also runs his own record label he produce he um he remixes shit and he produces stuff and i think he um yeah, he puts out stuff by other, other bands as well. But he's a major guy. If you look at him pre-pandemic, he was he all over the world DJing, like literally South America, then Asia, then back to Europe, and but constantly. I just you know. have you have you guys so so it's been quite a few years now since you've been involved with a band. Have you kind of if, if things cooled off, are you guys able to be friends again, or is it still a little raw? I think it's one of those things where. Um, this is before this whole kind of cancel culture came along. So I kind of feel bad saying this now, but I just decided at that point that it's just time to just say, you know, just to, just to make a clean break and just sure. kind of cut. So yeah, I've got nothing to do with them at all, at all. Okay. Well, I hope you run into each other once the pubs reopen and you can have a pint and, you know, <laughs> well, mend from, some old fences. Ed, from what I remember, when I, when you came and stayed with me, mate, you were straight edge. I remember you being disgusted by my, by, uh, by my drink. I heard somebody crack a beer. I heard just a minute ago, somebody crack a beer. Is that you, Neil? No, it wasn't me. It's, it's so a listen, early. It, it was, it was me, but I have to say it is, it is alcohol free beer. Uh, <laughs> so, you, so you are still straight edge. How about that? The thing is, no, not really. So here's here's the thing, right? So I have tried in the intervening years, tried really hard to drink alcohol, but I'm not very good at it. So mm. so I, I do drink every so often, but I just I just feel I feel ill really quickly. So I'm one of those people that feels feels I know the hangovers here while I'm drinking. If I have like three glasses, four glasses of beer, I start feeling shit. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where I just know I feel bad. So I still drink, you know. If we play a show, I like to have a kind of double brandy before we go on because it's good for my throat, apparently. You know, that <laughs> double kind of brandy. Thing. That's punk yeah. right there. Medicine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like in a his snifter thing, in yeah. his fucking in his, in his smoking jacket. I'll t- no, I tell you what, <laughs> some of the, it can cost so much money to buy a double brandy. I, I do take a hip flask with me nowadays because it's just like why spend twelve pounds, like you know, fifteen bucks or something, on a drink before you go on. Just you know, so I got a hip flask. Anyway. See, that's, that almost brings you back full circle. You're sleeping on the station floor days, <laughs> bringing your own your own exactly. booze into the venue. It's a little Brand. rebellious. Brown bagging it as well. You know. Yeah, here you go. Hey, well, that's what I wonder with this pandemic. You know, because man, we used to. We got, I live in the land. I live in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. I'm sure you probably don't know it, but it's like the land of craft breweries. Man, we have so many craft breweries, some of the biggest mm-hmm. ones in the country. So I'm pretty used to spending five bucks on a pint of beer and and just going out and hitting the town. I'm like, man, will I ever go back to that? I'm drinking half gallons of gin now for twenty three bucks. <laughs> if I ever get back to like wanting yeah. to buy drinks at the bar, I don't know. Or or you know, dining, going to spend a hundred bucks to take my wife out to dinner, where I can just, I don't know, might have ruined me. I know what you mean. We've, we've saved money, you know, Yeah. my, my, my wife's got kind of does all the finances and, and she was saying around Christmas time, she's like, shit, we can afford Christmas this year, you know? And I don't mean that in a kind of like Dickensian way, but I just mean in the kind of like, you know, we can get through Christmas without it seriously impacting, you know, the January bills that we have to pay. And it's cause we've just not done stuff. Right. Yeah. 
I like I like the idea of you yelling out your window of your house. Hey, boy, what day is it today? Yes, it's Christmas Day, sir. Go, go get me a turkey. Go get me your biggest turkey you can yeah. find. The one as big as me, trimmings. sir. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we don't get into Dickens very much in this show. We better play another song, Neil. You got a lot of you got a lot of songs, and I can tell we're we're not going to have any problem with conversation. So yeah, this might be a two-hour one again. Um, yes. Yeah, so, in in the same time as you were in the Stupids, you were also in a band called Bad Dress Sense, correct? I was so the, the, the yeah so the short version I'll keep the short. Do interrupt me by the way because I just talk forever, right? Well, 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 um, well, let's play the song and then you can talk yeah. about it. All right. Okay, cool. Let's like, do that. Yeah. So like called... Okay, cool. So this is called uh, Life's Demand by Bad Dress Sense. <laughs> sense with life's demand yeah so tell us about that tell us about bad dress sense good name for a band and all that but yeah so so well i um i, I decided to start playing guitar when i was like 19 right so at 54 i still think of myself as being that guy that doesn't play guitar and that kind of sometimes gets into my head when i'm playing a show and i've got this kind of little angel hovering over me going you don't play guitar and i just kind of lose my lose shit and just make mistakes it's really interesting but i just so i started late and i just um 
I wanted to write songs, right? So I started, I moved to London to go to college in 85. And um, a couple of my skating buddies, who you probably met a couple of them, you know, when we went down to London that day, mm-hmm. um, they just they just finished a band and they they kicked their guitarist out or something. And uh, so we just kind of formed a band and the drummer came up with his name, Bad Dressings. And we kind of scat, you know, when you get, you form a band, you don't know what kind of band you're going to be necessarily, right? We knew you were going to be a hardcore band, but I mean, what kind of flavor, what direction, what the dynamics, we didn't know any of that stuff. So we kind of did a lot of kind of um, Misfits influence stuff and a bit of DOA and a bit of kind of DI were kind of a big, you know, kind yeah. of SoCal stuff and everything. Yeah, skate punk band, yeah. And then this whole kind of DC thing, because I kind of coalesce in my mind, I mean, the, the minor, the um, oh, Rise of Spring album came out, it was recorded in February 85, and those guys from DC that came over had an advanced set of that that they brought with them um and that really blew me away and i think from that i kind of got really influenced and so the bad dressings then wanted to i kind of wanted to steer us in that sort of direction um and so that's kind of how we ended up right so the album the kind of mini album that that, that song is from is, is kind of quite influenced by that but squirrel bait were a big influence as well um you know but i just it was one of those things where I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was, I was, I was 19, 20 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so I look back on it now fondly, but I'm like, damn, that was, you know, how did that even happen? Those um, were the funnest times that weren't they back then, 85, yeah. 86, when you were young oh, yeah. and had no responsibility and were just doing whatever the fuck you wanted. Those were yeah, good times. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because I was in the Stupids and Stupids had its really high profile, you know, kind of in the punk scene and and also kind of nationally, you know, it's one of those things where you just feel like you can do what you can do, what whatever you want, you know, you can do anything. I don't mean that like I can do anything and be but I just felt empowered to do stuff. So I was just like, OK, so I've kind of this, this kind of really kind of new musician in terms of and yet I'm kind of telling these more perfected seasoned musicians like, hey, let's do this, let's do that. And so it, you know, um, you had some credibility. The the stupids gave you some credibility among the kids. People knew who you were. You sort of had a little bit of an air about you, probably, whether you knew it or not, right? Yeah, I guess that's it. And and I've, <laughs> I've been having to come to terms with that ever since because I've never done anything. <laughs> so my musical career peaked at twenty one. You know, in terms of like, <laughs> yeah, sorry exposure, about that. and that wasn't Dude, that's most my, of us. That's all right. Yeah, it wasn't even my band. So, but that but that's anyway. But so I had this thing where I was kind of doing this kind of more kind of I don't know. Uh, you know, hopefully something a bit deeper and a bit more, for me, meaningful, right, with Bad Dress Sense, despite the kind of comical name of the band. And uh, and then I was in the stupid singing about kind of root beer and skateboarding it, it, with the other half of my life, you know, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, so the, Neil's right. Those two were concurrent. And I very much thought Bad Dress Sense was my band and the stupids was just something I did. And I got more involved in it, but it's always, I always kind of define myself as, as bad dress sense really in terms of that yeah i want to and i would want to um just talk about something a second so back in those days we're talking yeah 85 86 right so just talk for a minute about the whole pen pal thing and like soaping the stamps and all that kind of thing i mean because because it's crazy now to look back on it that you know with the internet it's so easy to get in touch with bands but you know back then we were actually would you'd get a, someone's address from the back of maximum rock and roll right and you'd write to a band mm-hmm. and then like a month later or weeks later you might get a cassette or stickers or something right i mean absolutely yeah, yeah no it was, it was a great thing and and i think that i'd um you know, I'd been into punk since I guess I was about thirteen. I kind of got into that kind of um, eighty eighty one kind of stuff. You know, the exploited cron gen, anti pasty. You know, that kind of that kind of thing. But by about eighty three, I was already kind of looking. 
under kind of behind the the bands that were on the front cover of sounds right and um there was this um guy who did this tape label called eccentric noise tapes Mm -hmm. and um so i used to write to him and then he used to send stuff back and i remember at one point he had a cover that really cool tape cover and i was like and i was kind of helping a band out of high school i think i was writing lyrics for them and i was like the the cover of that that tape cover is really good who'd you get he goes oh there's this guy in america called pusshead he does all my covers for Uh me write to him and I'm like, okay, fine. So I just wrote to this guy, Pusshead, hey, can you do a cover for my high school band? <laughs> so Pusshead by then is already Pusshead, right? He's in, this, in the hardcore scene in America. He's, he's pretty well known, right? And he's like, yeah, the thing is, I don't really do that anymore, but here's a whole bunch of stuff I've done, just like copies. So somewhere in a, in a box somewhere, I've just got this kind of let, letter from, from Pusshead and all these kind of like, I guess, first generation Xeroxes that he did for me and goes, yeah, you can use any of these if you want. Um, but that's oh, just a, an example of, you know, so, so then when I met Tom, and Wolfie, I, I, well, not met them, but when I got involved with them in, in terms of music a couple of years later, so at 85 time, they had this network that they'd really tapped into through Maximum Rock and Roll and, and other stuff where they had pen pals like Neil and, and, and people we had friends in. I used to write to guys in Hawaii, Australia, obviously the States, where lots of people from the, the, the hardcore scene in Europe. And it was one of those things where, you know, without mobile phones and stuff, you'd arrange all this shit, right? And then, you know, I remember I've got diaries where I kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, we we, we, um, we drove into Antwerp or something like that in Belgium and met so-and-so and stayed at his house. And you're thinking, we must have arranged that somehow, you know, like on a postcard probably two months before. Yeah. I'll meet you at 8 a.m. at the so-and-so. And fuck, you know, it, the number of times it it didn't the number of times it failed was was minuscule right so we arranged whole tours around europe and stuff and there was a big squat scene as well um which i got into more when i was playing a year or two later with sync in 89 we did a lot of european tours we'll talk about that later but uh yeah the soap the sand things was amazing it's absolutely fantastic you'd send it like a, you do it like um you take it on yourself to do a kind of like a local scene wouldn't you neil like um yep. here's all the bands in my neighborhood just lists of bands like you know and then sometimes the third letter would be he left this band and she left that and then they joined and they did a different band it's like who who gives a fuck <laughs> But it was a world. It was our insular, insular little world, you know? Yeah, and things have changed so much. You know, Maximum Rock and Roll used to do that, that scene report. You'd be like, oh, look at the bands in Jakarta, Indonesia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but, was, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it legitimized, I think, uh, to a certain extent, the the whole scene, I, I think, at least in the small circle. But anyway. anyway. Well, especially the DIY scene. And, and like, because, uh, like, Ed, through writing to the guys in D.C. and stuff, then you went over there and stayed with them, right? And hung out That's with right. Marginal Man and yep. all that kind of thing. And because, Now, I mean, one, one of the best things is, yeah, that guy, uh, what was his name? Uh, the guy in Australia in Civil Dissident, Mackenzie? Dave, Dave Ross. McKen- Dave Ross, Dave Ross. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, through Ed, I started writing to, to Dave Ross in Australia, too. I, I don't know. I've never met the guy. But he actually sent me a copy of their first Blood EP. And the crazy mm-hmm. thing is, now that thing on, on Discogs is like 200 bucks. What what really? band? What band? Civil know? Civil Dissident. Civil Civil Dissident. Yeah, huh? Civil, Civil Dissident. You know, we yeah. haven't had it. We haven't had an Australian yet. Maybe you should uh, write the guy a postcard and see if he. Uh, yeah, see if he'll come on. Yeah. See if you he know, wants Dave, to do I, some correspondence. Like, you know, like a lot of things from back in that day, I'm still I'm still in touch with Dave. So I would have seen him a month ago if they hadn't been for the pandemic, because he was working in Germany for the last year. Um, but he's he's still a really close friend of mine, and this is this is the thing, right? We're still all kind of all friends still yeah you know for, from those days and just from having that kind of shared interest um in either skating or punk or both you know that kind of thing sometimes politics right who knows but yeah so i'm sure dave would love to come on the show so 
so let me ask you one. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit sideways here because I once again, you know, I think Europeans struggle with American geography because America is so big. But I also I don't know England very well either. So Ip, Ipswich was how close to London? It's probably I'm guessing 85 miles or something. But the other thing oh, you so got to quite, quite a drive on those crappy roads. So it's like a couple hour that, drive. That, that was going to caveat that by saying, but you don't know how the roads how bad the roads yeah. are. But you've obviously picked up on that. So yeah. <laughs> well, I know there's not the giant the giant highways necessarily like we have here. Because how yeah. far was how far is Liverpool from London? It was a long way, Neil. I mean, it was like night and day, right? I mean, you've only been there a handful of times in your life, right? I have actually. Yeah, it was about uh, on the train. It was a good three three hours, and it feels like it was the end of the world, right? It was see, that's not that, it was see, a major I, you know, thing. <laughs> I'm on the west side of Michigan, right? And I, to, for me to drop, to jump in the car and drive to Detroit, which is about three hours away, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Matter of fact, I got a guy over there who's selling some records, and I was thinking about driving over and picking them up instead of having them ship them. So I don't, I, it, it's just, it's well, funny. With the I US mean, I, Postal Service the way it is, that's probably a good idea. I could probably walk over there and get yeah. them right. <laughs> That's yeah, so let's let's not trigger Neil with that one. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, I of all the things he complains about, that's definitely one of them. Yeah, how many things but, are you uh, still waiting for, Tom? I have about three packages coming, but I think yeah, it's more. I think it's more the pressing plant delays. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I, you know, uh, uh, our our pal in Japan says he's going to send something, so I'm curious to see how long it takes to get something to J- from Japan. Because if it takes less time to get something from Japan than it does from Ohio, I'm I'm going to be pretty pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What well, surprised me? It, yeah. It's 2021, right? Anything could happen at this point. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm afraid the flipping of the calendar is not going to automatically make everything okay. No. But, Matter of fact, we're off to a pretty, pretty exciting start. That was, that was yes. my point, right? You know, it's like 2021's doubled down, really, on the good work done last year. <laughs> Neil true. and I, uh, Neil and I, stormed the Capitol with our Union Jack flags. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, I tried to take it back for England. Yeah, I got yeah. a great, a great picture of a great picture of Neil sitting in Nancy Pelosi's seat with his feet up on the, his feet up on the desk or something. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's insane. Let's let's take this opportunity to play another song, Neil. Sure. Um, are we, do you want to go chronologically, Ed? Because I think the next yeah, one you sent me was the band Chocolate, I believe, right? Yeah, but I got that wrong because you you confused me with your numbering system. So well, it's not you didn't you didn't confuse me. You you helped me confuse myself. So chronologically, the next one is uh, is the Sing Song. I okay. Uh, I don't have that one on my list, but okay. What's what's the name of the song? Yeah, introduce so it. So make sure. So okay. So after um after Bad Dress and uh, kind of split up, um I was still in the stupids and I kind of started a new band um, with, with my friend Paul from college called sync. And we did uh, the very first thing we did was appeal session. So we had like two rehearsals and did appeal session because they booked bad dress sense, but we weren't together anymore. So I phoned up and said, Hey, can I do it with my new band instead? And they were like, yeah, sure. As long as it's the same old racket. And I was like, yeah, it is. So we are probably one of the only bands to like rehearse and do appeal session like months before we played our first show. Uh, which is which is pretty cool um but then that's kind of the band i consider my main band in my career because it's the one that i gave up i didn't do any work i just did the band for like four years solid we played like 100 shows a year minimum that type of thing and really worked at it and um this is a song of our i think third or fourth ep and it's called um at the circus <laughs> Let's go. 
Circus. Um, I clearly need to mail it to you, Neil. Um, you know what? Okay, which EP that was off? Which which track? Because I think you did actually send me a CD of one of one of the Sync CDs. Was it Old Man Snake and Fat Pig or something? The Fat Black Pig, yeah, which is a Lightning Hopkins quote. Um, let's have a look. Sync um, at the Circus. Here we are. Yeah, so I mailed that to you yesterday. Shall I send it to you again? Uh, so oh, oh no, no, no! I'm talking about the actual, the actual CD. I believe you sent me back in the day. You actually sent that to me, so I actually do have that. But yeah, I have the track. I do have the track, so that's all good. That's cool because that's yeah. the one we remastered because it sounded especially for this show because um, because it, the uh, the sound on that that particular seven inch was pretty poor. Um, so that was that was from like '89, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have been eighty nine. That's just around the time we recorded our first album in Huddersfield, of all places. Oh, the, how was that? That was okay. Was, do you know? Do you know the band, The Instigators? You must. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've got, got their first tape, and I have their first album. Yeah. And actually, they were one of the first English bands from our scene that kind of toured the states. Um, they they did a, a US tour. Um, that's really interesting stories about that. Um, but they did a US tour, probably eighty five, maybe I'm guessing eighty four. Oh. And they, okay. they got out to play one of those big shows at the Olympic, you know, in L.A., mm-hmm. that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Like they played with, like, Raw Power and 900 other bands in front of, like, 3,000 people. Mm. You know, they did that. But um, they were based in Huddersfield, right? So we got we got friendly with them. We toured with them quite a lot. And um, so we just did our album with them. Because obviously, as you know, everything's cheaper up north. That's right. You know, compared <laughs> to the compared to the south, things cost more money. You compared know, in a smoke, country, yeah. Tom, the ties of, you know, I don't know. What state in America is the same size as England? Or probably Illinois. Probably, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. So in a country the size of Illinois, things are still much cheaper in different parts of it. It's, it's a bit strange. Well, it's uh, true in Illinois, too, because if you get outside <laughs> the Chicago metro area, everything's much true. cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, that you is, are. You, get down to the, you get down to the southern part of Illinois, I think people have, like, southern draws. I think they have two heads. <laughs> <laughs> but Sorry, no, Jake. I, get, Sorry, I, Jake. I get that. It's the same, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you, so you went and recorded with the Hillbillies. <laughs> well they wouldn't say no they <laughs> it's funny there's this kind of um kind of two-way chauvinism that goes on between like the kind of the north and the south where we are you know kind of i think for those of us that actually travel around you know it's all very much tongue-in-cheek but um yeah i don't think any any party thinks of themselves less than the other do you know what i mean and yeah. uh yeah, so no, we went up. We went up there, and and just just meant that we could spend more time in the studio, and that was the pragmatic reason to do it, rather than kind of rushing it down in 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 London. We could go up to the 
a studio in the north and uh, just spend a few more days on it. Yeah, the instigators were good. They were like a more tuneful version of Crass or something like that. They had a lot of similar like anti uh, vivisection type stuff, right? They were, I think it's not free. Was that the big song or something like that? That's, uh, they had "You're Not Free." You're not free. Thank they, you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and they yeah. had this song called "The Blood Is on Your Hands." Yes, that yes, that's the, the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good band. Um, yeah, they were no, they were great. They were really good. Um, yeah. And they went through a few changes as well. You know, so by the time we toured Europe with them in 89, it was really just, <laughs> I don't think there's any original members because the singer who was very much the front man then, he was not even the original singer, but he'd been in the band for so long. Um, anyway, there you go. It's one of those situations. Yeah. Uh, but they were great. We played with them, the Stupids, with one of the more earlier lineups. They were, they were kind of just really good friends of ours, I think. They were good. It was great for us to have that kind of... Um, they were more experienced and it was nice to be kind of accepted by them, that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. So what kind of, how would you describe what you were doing with sync? Was it still a, a DC kind of thing that you were trying to go for or had you moved away from some, some of that American style influence by that point? Well, I think what's interesting is that I went through, you know, my relationship with like ha hardcore and kind of, I guess, specifically US influenced hardcore really lasted probably two, two, three years, really. Mm -hmm. Although I still like that stuff and I still listen to some of it now. I don't mean, listen. I mean, I listen to some of the newer stuff now and still consider myself part of the world hardcore scene or whatever that is. I think the time that I lived and breathed it was quite short, right? So by the time I was... I was kind of coming out of the stupids and, and forming sync. I'd suddenly been aware, made aware of this, this all the other music in the world, right? Because I'd kind of, my parents weren't into music. My dad liked classical, my mum liked the Beatles and ABBA. I didn't have a musical background at all in terms of popular musical exposure or anything. So I kind of was getting into like the birds and I, I, I watched the Woodstock movie and stuff. And I suddenly got really into like kind of this kind of hippie stuff, you know, and roots. <laughs> oh, and, boy. And, and, I'm glad you said of, that because it was going to ask you about the love beads that you used to yeah, wear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, absolutely. So for me, it was a real kind of awakening in terms of and um, and also just getting into like discovering, you know, the, the blues, right, which is this kind of the death knell for kind of like kind of young middle class white kids in England. You know, it's like, you know, fucking hell, this stuff's amazing. You know, I've never heard of it before. But then, you know, all, all of a sudden you're you're listening to 30 year old John Mayhall albums or whatever, the Blues Breakers and Yardbirds yeah, well, yeah. this is it. I wasn't actually just listening to the kind of uh, more like the kind of Howling Wolf and, and Muddy Waters types, mm. you know, because being aware that Early they'd stuff. influenced those bands, you know, that kind of thing. I, and so, of course, I decided that it would be a great idea to kind of mix um, blues and uh, and hardcore punk, <laughs> but not in a way where I kind of write songs that were kind of blues influenced hardcore songs, but literally just try and play blues songs in the middle of a, a hardcore set. Or And then I got really into Hank Williams and country and stuff. So we would play... When we played Europe, in Europe, you were expected to play for a lot longer. So you'd play for like an hour minimum, hour and a half. Whereas in the UK, even if you're, you know, quite a popular band on a hardcore bill, you'd, you'd get half an hour at the most. And I think that's probably the way it should be. Yes, but in is. Europe, you're expected to play a lot longer. And so so we would play just crazy off the wall shit. Um, and so, you know, and, and obviously, because I'd been in the stupids, I was trying to distance myself from I'm not just a one dimensional hardcore artist. I'm a, I'm a proper artist. I can play <laughs> lots of different styles of music. And so some people came on that journey with us and some people didn't. So we confused a lot of people, but it was really liberating to be able to be in a band that played, so, you know, really, we got to know each other inside out kind of thing in terms of musically. So we were very versatile. You know, and it was it was just really it was a great experience doing. You know, it's nice to be able to look back and go, well, I just for that point in my life, I was able to just be a proper, full kind of working musician and just see see where it went. You know, 
Now, were you actually making, but did you have a job or were you were able to make money, enough money to live on with doing, doing the band? Yeah, so it's the latter. So I didn't have a job and I never signed on because, you know, so I never collected dole money or unemployment benefits. What? What's the matter with you? Well, it's, it was really <laughs> I that was the foundation right? of all grief. It is. It is. The door. Yeah, but it was a pain, right? So I, I, and and I, I got housing benefits. So I got fifty pounds, I think fifty pounds a month or a week for housing benefit. And I kind of was self-employed. I printed T-shirts for a bit, but basically we did the band. So I had, so we had that is that mixture of getting paid a few hundred quid a month, but having almost no living expenses, just kind of keeping your kind of your kind of outgoings down to an absolute minimum, and playing as often as you could, right? So we never had to. um, So I think all the time I was in sync. We pretty much we never bought our own instruments, so we because we went through a lot of instruments and we the band paid for everything, you know the band paid. For, we toured a lot, um, so we, you know the money was coming in, and as long as you haven't got big expenses, right? I guess you can kind of pull it off, really. Um, so yeah, full time for about three or four years, and then I suddenly was aware that the world wasn't quite um, paying as much attention to my genius as I <laughs> thought they might be. And, uh, and my partner at the time was like, you need to get a fucking proper job because I've kind of been supporting you for the last year. You know, it's one of those things. Now we were living so in London at this point. I was back in Ipswich. So I, I ah. kind of moved back to Ipswich in about 1990, I think. Um, so yeah, I moved back to Ipswich and got married and then that all kind of fell apart. And so I ended up moving back to London by the end of the nineties, um, which is where one of the other bands comes in later on. Um, but yeah, Sync was the band that I'm kind of that I, I I invested the most of myself in, and and you know again we're still friends now. So the guy that plays bass in the Stupids now and was in my new band dealing with damage, he's he was the guitarist with me in Sync as well. So we're all still hmm. friends. Okay. So do we have? We already played the Sync song. We did. We already played this. Yeah, we played. So you at the you grad you you got a college. You went to college, or you didn't. Are you asking Neil? No, I'm asking. <laughs> no, I know Neil went to college. You... No, it's just that you can't believe it, right, Tom? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, it sounds like you went. Bastards. I... I'm sorry. What What did you go to school for? What were What was your What was your yeah. trade to be? So I did one of those degrees. So in in the UK university system, we do a different thing, right? Where we don't have this idea of majoring. You just you just study a subject for three or four years. Uh, yeah. You can you can do a joint thing where you sometimes do two. So I just did English literature, which is one of those degrees that unless you're going to, I guess, go into becoming an English teacher yeah. or something in that line, it's a it's a kind of neutral degree, right? It shows that you can learn stuff, and but there's no obvious career path. Um, which is fine. You know, I remember saying to my mum once when I was like, because I wanted to leave. I was two years in and I just hadn't had enough. And we were stupid. were booked to tour Australia. And this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I was just not feeling really, I wasn't feeling it, as they say these days. And I was just like, mum, I should just give up university. And she's like, best thing she ever did. She goes, look, you've done two years. Just do the other year. It's not like you're actually doing any real work. Just, just fucking sit, you know, just get your head down and do the last year. So I did. And that's great. So I just graduated and I got a kind of, we call it a two-two. So it's like a kind of bang in the middle of yeah that's what i got too all the best people got two twos it's it's the classy it's the classy degree right it means that you kind of you could have gone you could have done much better if you tried yeah exactly (laughs) but i'm not a big see i think in the united states because my son's about ready to graduate from college the the term the term the kids use is c's get degrees oh yeah okay there we go you know so yeah they're maybe not excelling but do c's get jobs that's the question i have for my son but that's all right we'll worry about that later (laughs) different perspective yeah, yeah so I, did, I did an English degree and then then the sync happened. So then I kind of, you know, I finished sync in about 92, I think. So I graduated university in 88. So I had like four years when I was just 
doing the, the musician thing full time. I'm doing the odd, you know, job here or there to get to get some cash cash in hand. Um, and then I fell into doing IT, which is what I do now. Just completely randomly got into doing that. Wow, same, Neil. same as me. He has basically no. the same story. So, but, but you're talking. <laughs> so by, by the time the sync was mid twenties, right? You're still a pretty young guy. Yeah. So I um, eighty eight. I was twenty two. So yeah, I guess I was twenty. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's crazy young. A lot of people are just getting started playing music at that age. Yeah, you're, no, you're yeah, half I guess so. out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I already like three or four bands in. Yeah, that's the thing. And so, so it's weird that I never even now consider myself a musician. I think it's because I felt I started late. Because the one thing about the small town where I kind of, I kind of came of age like a teenager in Ipswich is a small town. It's one of those towns where everyone's in a band, right? So it had a really healthy music scene. And, you know, by the time I kind of started hanging out with the music scene there in, when I was 16, 17, there'd been some, some people have been in bands for like three or four years already, you know? And it was one of those things where they really started young. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I'd never thought of the fact that I actually possibly started young because I always think I started late compared to my, you know, my peer group, I guess. Hmm. Well, it is amazing now because, like, when I was in high school, we were all trying to get bands together and stuff, and nobody could play a lick. Nobody had good instruments. I see these kids now. They're, like, 15 years old. they got nice instruments, and they can actually play whole songs and stuff. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Seems like a different world, but... There was a time in the 90s where I kind of dropped out of the scene for a while. I had lots of stuff going on. I was still kind of doing music. But I wasn't really actively part of anything. And then when I got back into it in 99, I was like, fuck, everyone is amazing musicians. How did they, how did suddenly everyone learn to play? Right. And I think that, that there's been this thing that's happened. And I don't know what it is, but there's probably what, what, what you're referring to. Right. It's just that everyone seems so much more able and aware and, and capable of doing stuff now than, you know, just like bundling around i mean i remember this have you seen the, the go-go's documentary where they're talking about how they didn't know even how to plug an amplifier in to the wall they just had no idea how to plug that into the yeah. outlet into you know and that doesn't surprise me right it seems silly now but yeah i think there's much more awareness of how I to do things properly I don't know if people are things. taking people are taking lessons or what and we all took such pride in sort of figuring things off for ourselves which in hindsight made it just made the process that much longer well it, <laughs> it, it, it did but i would argue that it also made it better because too no, much I, too much musicianship. I I don't know, man. I I think that might be why a lot of I, modern I think bands. Just I think you're right about that to a certain extent. Like when I first started writing songs and stuff as a young musician, the earliest stuff I wrote is by far the most interesting. And part yeah. of that is because I really didn't know how to put a song together. Mm -hmm. Once I was schooled in how to properly put a song together, it was sort of it felt good and it felt nice. But by the same token, there wasn't that wild sort of, you know randomness that the early stuff had so yeah and i mean you know you, you compare a lot of what a modern a lot of modern punk bands are doing versus like the germs or something and the germs are so much more musically interesting than bands that just sound like every other fat wreck band right even yeah. though they might be better musicians um i'll yep. take i'll take i'll go the germs route every day of the week but uh <laughs> anyway that's just me so, so did you oh sorry go on let me say, Ed, so you, you talked about having a connection with these DC guys, and it was Shudder to Think. Now, Shudder to Think kind of had a little moment where they were kind of like almost like a college band more than a punk band, right? I mean, they were sort of had some commercial moments in the 80s. They really did. So their stories, I think their story is pretty interesting. So I kind of, I dropped out of, of their um, orbit, as it were, at a certain point. But we we brought them over to tour Europe with us because they were close friends of mine. Well, the bass player, Stu, was a really close friend of mine because he's one of those guys I'd met originally in, in, in 84. 
85, right, when they, they came over to, to the UK, um, or 86. No, I think it's 85. But I've known him since then. And and I, he was just in this little band, right, that they they weren't, they were kind of, you know, they couldn't quite play and they were just good and they hadn't quite got the songs. And then within the space of a year, they were suddenly like, shit, this band's fucking great. And that's when they did, they, they did a, an EP called It Was Arson, and that was really good. And then they did the first album, Voodoo's Curses, Mooses, and whatever the hell it's called. It's one of those complete confusing things. Um, and again, that was that was genius. So we're like, you know, let's let's get these guys over to tour with us. And we did this kind of joint headline. We'd swap headlining shows. Um, and and but what happened is that subsequently, so when they had that moment that you're talking about where they got onto I think they got onto like a Lollapalooza thing or something, they were supporting Smashing Pumpkins and they toured they did a, a load of those things. It was a different lineup. So of the light of the band, mm-hmm. it was really just the uh, sing- singer Craig and Stu that was still in the band, the guitarist, Chris that I knew had left because I think he was went on to become a college professor. I think he's now, and then Mike, the drummer who I loved, he'd left as well. So it's one of those things where I kind of didn't have so much to do with them then. So I don't know so much about that part of their career, but I, um, I absolutely love each other to think when they were doing the discord stuff right up to, um, so they forgot as soon as they got big, as soon as they got big, they forgot about you is what I'm hearing. (laughs) No, not at all. They were just in a whole different thing. And and to be honest, what I, I, they're one of those bands. I need to go and check out the two albums they did since, because I haven't even heard them. And it's, 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 I don't know why, right? Because they were some of my closest friends and I'm not listening to their last two albums even. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, they did. They, I think at one point I was talking to Stuart and he was talking about his stylist and, and that just kind of, Oh dear. I just, couldn't really relate and it's one of those things where there's no judgment right because I w- i've never been in a band on a major label i don't know what they they can make you do or something but i just thought yeah that just doesn't for me doesn't seem right but there was a couple of interesting moments a lot of us in in the uk who've had dealings with american bands have all come away with the same pretty much the same um experience is that the american bands that we played with in the 80s and 90s just seemed so much more focused and self-assured about what it is they were doing, why they were doing it, and almost like their right to do it. Whereas we can seem to be more kind of riddled with insecurities about, well, well, I hope someone likes us, or why am I even doing this? You know, I've got this thing where I think that, you know, people collect stamps, right? But they don't expect other people to go and watch them doing it. Do you know what I mean? And whereas, <laughs> you know, whereas I'm a kind of that's musician. That's a great analogy. And for some reason, I seem to need an audience. Why? Why should I impose my shit on other people? But I think that's entirely the wrong view, right? And so when we were touring with Shudder, we played a couple of shows with the Lemonheads. And I think it was our turn to headline that night or something. And they said, hey, do you mind if we headline tonight and we'll just swap you with tomorrow? And we're like, well, I guess so. Why? What's the problem? Well, and, and their view was that they wanted to be higher up the bill so they could kind of when they, you know, so that Lemonheads would see them as more maybe, a, 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 I don't know, a band that they should um, contend with. So when they got back to the States, they could be, hey, we played with you and stuff like that. And we're like, wow, that's like really together. You know, there seemed to be a very kind of like focused attitude. Um <laughs> We just wouldn't have thought of that type of thing. And yet all of those bands, they went on, they all signed, like, you know, Jawbox, you know, and and Girls Against Boys, Shudder to Think, Dam Builders, who are another friends of mine from Boston, you know, they all got they all got signed to major labels. And we're like, we thought we were dealing with this music that just wouldn't translate. Why would anyone want to put out one of but our none, records, none of those bands know? sounded like the stupids either, if we're being honest, though. Yeah, but the, the, I guess the scene had kind of moved on, right? That was part of that yeah. whole kind of like pre-Nirvana, post-Nirvana thing. That's That's a big... That's yeah. a big thing, I guess. You know, and the Stupids were lucky in the UK, and that the Stupids were one of the first bands to do that thing in a much smaller scene, but also really unlucky because if they'd maybe done it a year later, they'd have been really popular because suddenly every high street, you know, knew about punk rock, right? Hmm. Whereas before it was kind of our secret up until kind of 91 when Nevermind came out. 
Hmm. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's it's funny. I'm actually digging out. I forgot I had these cassettes. I just dug out two cassettes that Tommy had sent me back in the oh, yeah. day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, he must have known somebody that worked at a record label because he's taped over. <laughs> and this this would probably have been worth money. Um, it's an early Smiths. Uh, <laughs> it's an early <laughs> Smiths uh, demo or something. Uh, what difference does it make? Stephen Morrissey, John Marr. And he taped over that with the Stupids demos. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know it'd be worth money, that Morrissey demo, not the Stupids demo, right? Yeah, right. And it's got, but, but the funny thing is, over the one Smith song, it's got an entire uh, Stupids, there's two demos, and then mm-hmm. um, something by the Coolest Retards, which I guess was another one of Tommy's um, spin off bands, I assume, right? Yeah, actually, that would be my first band that I was in. Yeah, they oh, did was. this there band. Well, yeah, but I didn't. I wasn't an original member. That was that was like um, there was just three of them, and then they got me into play, and they they would just make up songs. Basically, it was one of those things where you um, there was a band called the Scum Dribblers. Have you heard of the Scum Dribblers, Neil? They're Never the UK heard of band. Them, no, they were like this total crusty two piece, and they'd have songs. They'd they're just strange songs and they just scream the name of the song and then the guitarist would start playing. I don't know if they had a drummer. They must have done, right? And then <laughs> they just kind of make a lot of noise while the guy said something like, you know, helicopter attack or hel- aeroplane crash. I think they had a song called Aeroplane Crash and he'd just kind of scream that while the guy just played random shit on the guitar and then they'd stop after like 20 seconds. And so they did that with... Um, the stupids did that so they all swapped instruments right and they had songs called like banana milk and uh, all this other shit i can't remember but we we played a few shows uh and, um, is a yeah the, yeah the... <laughs> i want to jerk off butthole yeah uh, butthole. I remember butthole that's right and and they would just make them up so someone just wolfie the bass player would, would be the singer in 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 coolest retards and he'd just shout butthole and then he'd go one two three four and they just make some noise while he showed the butthole <laughs> But great yeah, avant-garde. <laughs> the great thing is that's a kind of a live moment, right? That you just kind of get up and do that live. But for some reason, we, we recorded it <laughs> as well. We went to the studio. Well, I think it was when the Stupids were doing an album, we just kind of grabbed half an hour of time and, and did the Coolest Retard set. The, the sad thing is that Morrissey demo you taped over actually had a rare, or that uh, Smith's demo had a rare Smith track where Morrissey sings for four minutes about his love of T-bone steaks. But unfortunately, <laughs> Hey. It's going to be lost to history because don't, somebody taped over it with the, the box. Yeah, it's it's an it's an official Warner Brothers cassette. So I don't know if Tommy knew somebody that worked at Warner Brothers. I guess he must have done because the other cassette I have is a live one, and it's got Howard Jones has been taped over. What is Love by Howard Jones? <laughs> Howard Jones he had a couple of big hits later on. Yeah. a couple of hits in the eighties. Yeah. but yeah, but they're, they're all Warner Brothers cassettes, official Warner well, Brothers. Maybe cassettes, maybe right? like five finger discounted them, stuck them in his pocket, and like taped over like. Oh, the demos though. No, no, I mean they're like warner brothers demos or something like that so yeah that's interesting well the only thing i can think of neil is that the um the guy andrew fryer who recorded uh, all of the early stupid stuff like all the good stuff right um he had his little recording studio his his parents attic back home in in, near ipswich but his day job he worked for warner chapel um, publishers in london they had like a demo studio in london and i remember i got like an early billy bragg thing from him um, like a demo of a Billy Bragg thing, because he'd get those artists who come in and do demos. So it could be, it could be from that. Probably is actually, yeah, because it's got a London address on it. Yeah. Don't get Neil started on Billy Bragg. Yeah. It's almost as bad as the post office. Sorry. We should probably play another song, Neil. And actually, yes. I actually have, I would like to ask him a little more about the DC stuff, if if he doesn't mind. No, not at all. Yeah, but. Um, what's what's next on the? So we're going in chronologically, I think, right? What's yes. next on the chronological? I do believe I do believe it's chocolate, uh, right? From yeah, the mid nineties. Right. So what's chocolate. chocolate? 
Right. So here's the, here's the thing, right? So as as I told you, sync confused a lot of people, right? And I remember we got we we left a label, right? There was some incident. We decided to leave, and we we're looking for a new label. And we went and talked to um, a guy who was starting up a record, and he said, "Look, because I've, I've, we'd recorded an album, basically, we we're shopping an album around." And he said, "Look, I've listened to this." He was an older guy. He said, "What kind of band are you? I don't really, I don't just don't get it. You know, what are you? Right? I've listened to this thing. I like some of it. And my friend here, who's this young guy that was kind of his A and R. I mean, I'm using terms that this is all very informal. He tells me I should sign you, but I don't know what kind of band you are. And that's the first time I think someone had said to me exactly that." And so when Sync had split up, that kind of thing had stayed with me. And I'd thought, OK, let's just from now on, let's just keep it simple for people. Right. So I did a kind of punk band and then I formed this other band called Big Ray, which would do the kind of non-punk stuff. And that's kind of what I've stuck with ever since. And so Chocolate was the first band that I kind of formed after Sync that was a punk band. And I did this thing. It was a reaction to the fact that, like I said, everyone had got really good. Like Jawbox were really good. Lemonheads were really good. All these bands were just like really good. And I was like, hang on, I thought punk was about being kind of shit and not really being able to play. So I, I formed the most dysfunctional band I could think of, right? So I got Wolfie from the Stupids to play bass. And locally, it was kind of famously known that I kind of, he his ex-girlfriend, I'd married her. And then I got the best guitarist in town to play drums, Right. So we had this three piece where you got Makes these sense. two guys that, yeah, it was that. And it was just kind of, you know, and it, so as a result, you got someone who, and he ended up being a good drummer. But to start with, it's like, it's just a bit scrappy. I wanted it to sound like some angry Samoans, snotty, angry Samoansy thing like that. Uh -huh, yeah. um, you know, anyway, that was the idea of chocolate. So and we kind of stumbled through about three, three years worth of different lineups. We did a couple of albums and stuff. And this is a track, I believe, called I Wish I Smoked um which is actually by the time by that to come came, by the time that got released we could actually play quite well so it's kind of uh sounds a bit like the lemonhead <laughs> probably is where we end up with it but that was chocolate and it was kind of my kind of project through the 90s before i kind of got back into into the scene so we, we played a few shows and stuff but it was mainly kind of scratching an itch really and playing with people rather than being a, a full-time musician okay so hmm. this is chocolate with i wish i smoked smoke there by chocolate um so that was so i see looking at the chocolate stuff on discogs you did a seven inch which basically rips off the cover of the first uk subs album correct that, that's right yeah the another kind of blue yeah because yeah. the um the single was called blue streak 
Yep. And I just, you know, you kind of run out of cover ideas sometimes. You just go, hey, let's do that UK subs thing. In fact, I'll tell you what it was, Neil. I was sitting down with the guy, Steve from Ipswich, who does our, he did our artwork then. And he's going through this kind of stock um, image kind of catalog of just stock images because he did lots of corporate work. And that fucking um, UK subs image, yeah. the, the guy with like, the welding goggles or something, that's just like a stock image. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. I thought I, in my in my mind, it was something Charlie Harper had kind of found or kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of art directed. Something. It was him in the like, goggles or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just a picture from a catalog. And I was like, fuck it, we can use it. And it's like a royalty free thing or something. So we're gonna do that. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. So, so when you, so you had this connection with these DC guys, did you ever get to know like Ian or Henry Rollins or were they kind of in different circles by then? So, okay, so I could talk, this is a whole separate podcast, right? And um, anyone that knows me is listening to this is going to go, oh, God, don't don't get him started. So the answer is kind of yes. I, I, I only met Henry once, but I got to know Ian. I'm not going to kid myself say very well, but he's an acquaintance I'm kind of still vaguely in touch with. But Ian is um, someone I've spent a lot of time with in the past, and he's been – he's just – I, I love Ian, right? You know, he's yeah, one okay. of those guys. Yeah, that was, I was, I was, I'm trying to get to whether or not that these guys are tools or not. Are these no, guys no, tools no. or are they good dudes? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's hard Henry... to tell because all we do is hear him talk in documentaries. He's like, oh, we're going to do a documentary. You got to call Ian McKay. You got to call Henry Rollins. Yeah. And then maybe Dave Grohl. Those are the three guys you got to talk <laughs> to, right? It's so funny, isn't it? Because we do that back here as well. That in my band, you know, we've got like a WhatsApp group. And if someone goes, hey, have you seen the Sonto documentary? And it's like, uh, don't know, has it got Dave Grohl? And it's like, no, well, it can't be real then. You know, that kind of thing. And it's the <laughs> yeah. same with, and Ian's always sitting at that same table drinking a cup of tea and yeah and, exactly um, yeah looking look so, vaguely disinterested stupid, stupid stocking cap <laughs> so but Ian so the thing okay I guess the thing the thing I will say about Ian um that's just uh, probably interesting and kind of I can do it in, in the short thing is that he's he's hilariously funny guy he's really really funny yeah he's got a great sense of humor um and and that's one of the things that you know is is really endearing, right? Because every time you see him in the public eye, I guess to be Ian Mackay must be to constantly be on your guard, right? In in, in the public space, just because. You know, he's treated, he's revered in so many ways. And then other people are always looking to kind of, you know, find that chink in the armor kind of thing. But right. if you just kind of spend some time with him, he's just the funniest guy. He's just really I funny. I would never have guessed that because I, I have a tremendous amount of respect, respect for the guy. I think he has done things more right than just about, you know, he's been successful on his own terms. Mm, but, when, but when you see him interviewed, you don't really think of him as funny. Sometimes you kind of think of him as pretentious. Other time, but like I said, I ultimately I, I do have a lot of respect for the guy. But I would have never guessed that he was funny. Oh yeah, he's he's. We were we went out for a Chinese meal once, uh, just over the road from Discord, and he it was just me and him, and he was. I don't think I'd even had Chinese food before, right? Because it was this was England in the eighties where we didn't do a lot of food. Exactly and, um, right. Yeah, so I know exactly what he showing was. All you had was Indian Indian food, right? <laughs> we had Indian food. Yeah. Hold, hold on, one, hold on one second. I want to want to say something. So when when Ed came and stayed with us, um, over the weekend that time in like eighty five, whatever it was, mm. Ed was a vegetarian. And my mom mm. had got no idea what that what that meant, so she had, she had no idea what she was supposed to cook for him and stuff. So I'm sorry, I, I digress. No, that's funny. So so Ian's like, I, you know, I, it's in fact this is um this is a good story. But I basically been to see Fugazi, a really early version of Fugazi, uh, before Guy joined, do some rehearsing. Basically, I was over in DC, and Ian's like, hey, come come see the new band. So it was amazing. I got to see the three of them just rehearsing in the Discord basement. I was just hanging out there for like three hours, just going, wow. And this is. 
it it's a bit like uh, it was the good but you know this is before fugazi was fugazi really you know they become like this this legendary band right after thousands of shows and everything but back then they played i think one show or something so it was it was really interesting just watching this and not being able to process in a way because it was such a kind of different sound that they kind of come up with but that was amazing and then afterwards he said, let's go for some chinese food i said all right so he's shown me how to how to construct one of those plum sauce and fake duck wraps you know those things yeah, yeah. Where you kind of get the, the plum sauce and you put the chicken and well not the chicken duck sorry but the, it was a vegetarian thing and he showed me how you do it and he goes okay so here's how you do it uh, and we're in this little booth and he kind of goes so you do this you do this you do this and then you got the whole thing and just smacked it on the side of his face and just go then you do this and just slapped it on his face and so he had all this kind of plum sauce dripping down his, <laughs> his cheek and everything and i was in hysterics it was really funny and then the waiter comes over right and and Ian suddenly was like, oh, shit. And he's trying to wipe it off his face and everything. And I thought he'd just tough it out. Like, kind of, yeah, what's up? You know, um, yeah, well, there's some water. But he was totally, like, embarrassed, like, trying to wipe it off his face and everything, <laughs> which I thought, again, was really endearing. Um, but, no, he's a nice guy. And, and like, a bit like you, said, like you said, Tom, he's, he's done everything on his own terms. I know he's a really stubborn, stubborn guy when it comes down to it. So that can, I guess, sometimes infuriate people. But he is um, he's one of the people one of the only people I've, I've kind of revered and looked up to in the music scene that when I've met him, he's been absolutely as, as advertised, you know? Well, you don't hear, yeah, you don't hear bands that were on Discord saying, I got screwed. You know what I mean? He seems like he's genuinely above board. Yeah, There's sure. There's been a I mean, lot of, like, the Dead Kennedys, like, I don't know if you've been paying any attention, like, if you're a social media guy, but over here this week, there's been a ton of controversy because the Dead Kennedys put some stuff on, on online, and then Jello was going after them, you're not the real Dead Kennedys, and all I can think is, Jello, you lost the high moral ground so long ago that it really doesn't, there's no, like, credibility on your end either, you know? Yeah. You got two groups of people, neither of which have a really any amount of credibility. But anyway, that that's cool though. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I would have loved to hear a story about, you know, Ian McKay being a total tool too, but I'm actually sort of glad to hear that because like I said, I actually do have a ton of res- ton of respect for the guy, even though his later music his later musical projects don't do a damn thing for me, but that's all right. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, there will be people that have got beef with Ian who, you know, probably were on the label or something. I don't know, maybe. Um, but it but, doesn't seem like it. You don't hear a lot of that. You no, know, no, some no, of these, exactly. Yeah. Some of these labels, like I said, like an Alternative Tentacles or like Victory Records or something, you just hear constant stories about how the bands <laughs> were screwed over and, and whatnot. So it's actually, it's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that about Ian. I've, I've got a ton of Discord stuff in my collection over the years, you know. Mm. Love Minor Threat. So, yeah. anyway. That's good. So I remember the the, the 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 first time we picked those guys up from from Heathrow. You know, I told you we'd been skating all night at the airport. We we got the train back to Ipswich, and I remember at one point Tom said to um, Stuart, he goes, "So did you say goodbye to Ian before you left?" And we were like, kind of just giggling because you know who the fuck knows Ian Mackay? You know, and, and Stuart's like, "Oh yeah, man." He said, "Oh yeah, watch out for the skinheads in London." And Tommy and I looked at each other like, "Fucking hell, they know Ian Mackay." <laughs> we we had no idea, and I remember the look on Tom's face like, "Fuck," like this. And so then it was just like open season. So we just then realized that how small that scene was and and Stuart yeah. and Bobby knew just everyone so it was brilliant um and that's kind of how I kind of got to know people and then the next summer I'd moved to London so um some of those guys came back that because it ended up with I think six of them staying that first summer and then they went home and said oh one of the guys we we're staying with in Ipswich has now moved to London everyone's like oh so then we had some more people coming over and I think at one point I had like 11 or 12 people from DC staying in my my kind of dorm room that I was kind of living in for the summer and uh yeah a lot of those are still really good friends of mine today and then that later that summer sorry 86 is the year the stupids went to um 
tour America. So I flew out a little bit um, two weeks early to hang out in DC. And that's when I met all of the guys from Rise of Spring and One Last Wish. There was this house. I've, I mentioned this before. There's a house, right? And so Bert Kiros was in it. He's the guy from Rain and Double O and The Untouchables and, and Youth Brigade. And he was living there with um, Brendan and Guy from, uh, you know, One Last Wish for Gazi, Rise of Spring. Michael Hampton was there from The Faith and One Last Wish. Um, uh, and randomly, Dave Grubbs from Squirrel Bait was living there, and then so was the guitarist from Verbal Assault, who had like was sleeping in like the bay window of the of the of the front room. And then um, Natalie from Fire Party was living there, and this guy Johnny K, who's Chris Ball's younger brother, who was he was also the singer in that band Rain, who I like uh, the Rain, a kind of mid eighties DC band. But it's just like all those people in one house. So this was the Discord house, or it's not the Discord house. No, it's called Garfield House because it was on Garfield Street. But it was just. Wow, it wasn't Garfield. It wasn't Garfield Hux. It was named after Henry, Henry the Great yeah. Henry Garfield. Huh? <laughs> no, there's no connection. Although I did wonder, you know, because DC is funny, right? So you've got these people who are like punk rockers, and their dad turns out their dad is either it's like a senator or something, yeah, or, or a journalist. <laughs> or in, in the case of one of my friends, his dad was like a joint a joint commander of the U.S. Navy, right? Oh Jesus. Things like that, and so SOA well, would kids, once again. Though, these kids were middle class kids. You know, you were talking about kind of having this insecurity because you didn't mm. think feel like you grew up, you know, poor enough to be a punk rocker. But these that scene that was middle class kids for the most part, right? Yeah, for the most part, yeah, and not not all the way through. But you're right, absolutely. And again, that's probably again, you know, partly what drew me to it. Drew, yeah, drew me towards it in terms of when I met those guys. I was like, okay, they're kind of a bit more like me than, you yeah. know, um, you know, and and kind of just the general sort of intelligence and and that kind of thing sure. you know hmm. good stories though man good man you've got a ton of them yeah i got what? too many sorry the other thing i must say neil and this is so infuriating is that he is sitting in jolly old england and he sounds better than people we talk to in like indiana right I mean, he's so clear. It's yeah, unbelievable. It is. Well, okay, I, actually, you know what? Let me ask. Let me, let, me, let me ask you about that. Did you see the documentary on that DC on the DC scene? What's called Salad Days? I think it was. Yeah. 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 I, saw that. yeah. yeah. I mean, what amazed me was a there was so many amazing bands mid eighties, but mm. then how shit they were in like the late eighties. Some of those bands are just embarrassing in the in the later part of that movie. I I, I thought anyway. I mean, I don't you know, but some of them I thought were just terrible. Um, well, anyway. they didn't hold on to that. Most of them weren't interested in doing the hardcore thing forever. I mean, look at even Minor Threat. They were a flash in the pan, really, you know? Did a couple of years, and then they had a year off or whatever, and then came back for a year. They were really a very short, yeah, but you don't have to short-lived do, band. They you had don't a have huge to do, impact. You don't have to do funk disco and shit like that. I mean, you can do you can do a wire <laughs> thing. You can do a killing joke yeah, thing. You don't have yeah, to become no. a funk band, for fuck's sake. But so, anyway. so which is which is the band you're referring to, Neil? There was a, a pretty much any band they showed that were in those later years, from like 89, 90. I can't even, I can't even remember to tell you the They were truth. all trying to do, like, world music and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Just embarrassing it wasn't it wasn't me but you know what neil it's one of those things you know some people like that <laughs> maybe it was maybe it was soul side maybe that was who it was but i guess i should watch uh, it because because you probably know him so <laughs> probably. give me two seconds friends. i'm just i'm just hear my wife hammering on the door give me two seconds i'll go and let her in all right man. okay and i'll come back one yeah, second sorry no worries well i might just take this opportunity to take a piss because i've been drinking coffee all morning i'm slightly hungover neil so i'm gonna go i'll, I'll be back in a minute don't okay. be afraid to start without me do, 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 do. Here I am hanging out doing the show by myself. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you could do like your, uh, like that uh, Blair Witch monologue. I'm yep. really scared right now. If I don't, if you don't see me again, yes, yes. I might 
Family, I love them. All right, I'm going to go piss. Oh, you can. Okay, good idea. Break. Okay, break. I'm back. Yeah, I can have a break. Yeah, so sorry about that, Neil. So my wife got this thing where she no, no she worries. always has her keys with her, but she she never um <laughs> she never wants to use them to actually open the fucking door. And um, <laughs> anyway, so sure enough, I get down there after she's been hammering on the door for five minutes, and she's just getting her keys out of a bag. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, so whereabouts <laughs> in London are you? I am living in South London, so I'm living in Balham, which is really close to Brixton. Okay. Um, so my son goes to school in Brixton, so we're about a mile from Brixton, and um, in fact quite close to Kennington where we went I was, that day. I was about, yeah, I mean, geez, that was, I, I got such good memories of the, of that weekend because we hit so many places that weekend. So that was good. Now, do you still skate? I assume you don't, but maybe you do. Well, I was skating. Yeah. So yes and no, in that I have a deck. It's a, uh, it's a deck, but you may have heard the company. It's called Cold War Skateboards. Amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And I, I stuck some old wheels on it because I had some. I went to um, Slam City Skates when you gave me the deck, and I yeah, just yeah. said, right, you know, give me set this up for me, right? Just give me some trucks and some wheels and everything, and so I can get it on the road, you know, get it um, uh, roadworthy. And um, but of course, you know, skateboard wheels these days are so small, right? Right. Uh, even even street wheels are really small, and I was just like, oh, I don't really want to fall off and kill myself, so I just put my old wheels from like the um, from the eighties back on, and um, so that's my that's my that's my rig, as it were. But I just kind of skate around the streets, really. I would love it if there was like some sort of, um, you know, park or something where I could go without youngsters embarrassing me and calling me old. But I just remember what it was like when we used to skate and some older guy would come along. Yeah, you and, know. They, and they were probably like 25 or something. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> right? Absolutely. They yeah. weren't that old. But it's just like, you know, they didn't quite have the right, they didn't have the right deck or it was just a little bit. And it was just, oh, you know, and I just don't want to be that guy, you know. Would you, you, tell would you, about your, you tell them about your broken bones, Neil? Yeah, I was going to say, I was skating up until about a year ago when I I fractured, uh, broke both bones in my wrist. And oh, so I'm pretty, I... much, pretty much done now. But do you remember when we skated Kennington that day? There was actually a roller skate guy. Yes. <laughs> and he was pretty damn good, too. No, but yeah. no exactly. Yeah. yeah, probably with leg warmers or something. As he well. was, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he did. I think he did have leg warmers <laughs> on, yes. And... Uh, and shit, it was. We met Mac that day. There was a lot of famous skaters, as it turned yeah, out. You know, that's uh, right. Because it yeah, was it was yeah, a pretty small scene back then. Eighty five in England, that was a small skateboard scene. Well, you know what was funny about that, right? Is, is again, this shows how small things were, right? So the reason that we had an an in into that scene was because we met this guy called Buzz, right? Mm -hmm. And so Tommy and he I showed us around. Down. Super nice guy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So so. Um, were, I, were you with us the day we bought the um, Salad Day seven inch? Is that the, is that the same weekend or was that a different time? Like so, so let's we went to rough that. trade. You... I know that. I don't, I don't know. If, don't know if you bought it that day, but it, we went to rough so had, trade. It, had we met Buzz before we met you? No, we met him that day because we were walking right, around. We so got off the train it. and we, around London. We didn't know what we were doing. And Buzz just comes up to us and goes, oh, you guys skaters? And then he just showed us around, right? Exactly. So yeah. that's the story. And that, yeah. And so I'm still I'm still in touch with Buzz now. So he runs a record shop in Brighton. And um, I don't know if he still skates, but he was, he's been skating up until recently. He's still he's still doing his thing. But he literally got in touch with us or came over the street to us because yep. we had a skateboard. And we we're all wearing Converse or something. And yep. that was enough for him to walk over there. And I think he just bought the stupid EP. So we, we're holding up the kind of salad days because Tommy had just bought salad days. And he's like, hey, I just bought this. And Tom's like, hey, that's my band. You know, and then he's like, oh, come with us. And he just took us around, didn't he? He did. He did. Super, yeah, super cool. But yeah, it was it was like almost like early punk rock days where if you saw somebody wearing you know like yeah converse or vans or something you would immediately start speaking to him because yeah. it was such a such a small small thing and, and you would never know where to go without that kind of 
you know, and also it's one of those things where you just fortunately Buzz was kind of like London skating royalty kind of thing. You know, he'd been there from the beginning and just knew everyone. Right. And it was just it, it's one of those things, you know, it's like when you get introduced to a group of people, it's all about who introduces you. Right. It can be the worst person or the or the best person. Yeah. Uh, and there are times in my life where I've been lucky to be introduced into a group of people by the right people. Right. So everyone kind of cuts you some slack and. Right. You know, the ice is broken. So that was one of those days. But I'm glad you were there for that, Neil, because it was a really magical weekend. That that was that was a magical weekend, despite the sleeping on the on the ground at Houston's <laughs> uh, Houston Station. <laughs> and from what I remember, the next morning, Tommy got something ridiculous for breakfast. Like we were like getting, I don't know, you know, a regular breakfast. I think Tommy just bought like 20 donuts or some shit. I, I... Yeah, that, that would not surprise me at all. <laughs> that's called a, yeah. that's called the typical American breakfast. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's from Ipswich, though. He, he should have gone on to become a cop or something, right? Yeah, I think he was eating donuts and chocolate milk. I think that's what he had for breakfast. I think that's. I think <laughs> well, that's you know, those those songs, those stupid songs about they didn't come from nowhere. The ones about food. That's kind of you know he loved that stuff. Yeah. Did, <laughs> funny, funny did, stuff. Tom, did Tommy um, keep playing music, or did he end up becoming a respectable citizen and get a real job? Oh no, he, he was that, a DJ guy. Clute. Yeah. Oh, DJ. That's right. You said yeah, that. Yeah. He was all, all over the world. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So he managed to make a career in music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, actually, for your own research, he was in a band called That's It, which was, um, you know, Sean Stern from Youth Brigade. Yes, sure. So he did a band. So Tommy moved back to America after the Stupids kind of split up in 89, 88. And he moved back to the States and he formed this band with Sean Stern called That's It. And they did one album. He moved back to the States. Do you mean that he was was he American originally? So short version of the story is he was born in the states moved to england when he was really really young maybe not even oh, okay. one or two and then what happened is that um around 85 so after the first stupid album came out and that kind of first lineup disappeared kind of he moved to the states and spent a lot of time in pomona i think he was friends with the guys from pillsbury hardcore and he was hanging out in the toxic shock record store i think he worked there mm-hmm. um and uh, and then when Peel got in touch and started playing the record, and that's a whole other story, I phoned him up. It's like, Tom, you should come back because the stupids are, you know, getting airplay. We should we should make a go of it. So he he did move back again. So he kind of he'd been to the states off and on throughout the eighties, but I think he moved there a bit more permanently for a while and did that album with Sean with Sean Stern. And I can't imagine two people. It didn't end well, but I can't imagine those two really. Ever so when, really when you said youth, when you said one of the youth brigade people was staying at the house in DC, yeah. that was the DC youth brigade, DC right? Youth brigade, exactly. Not yeah. to, I would say because yeah, obviously there was the yeah. DC youth brigade and the the SoCal youth brigade. Exactly. So you got You have a slight connection to both. Yeah, that's right. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so what was funny is that Sync on the last Sync tour of Europe, we played some shows with That's It. They came over. And so the guy, the tour manager, Toddy, who was organizing it for us, goes, hey, Ed, your, your friend Tommy's going to be on the um, – the uh the a week of shows in this and i said like, really what the fuck and he said oh yeah no it's, it's tom's band and so then when they arrived he'd already left and i was like oh i thought tom was in the band and by then him and sean had really fallen out so it's like this kind of whole kind of oh that motherfucker blah 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 this kind of thing and it's like oh, okay <laughs> um you know so that was that was funny but yeah so they're they're an interesting band to to, to check out that's a terrible um, name though that's it it sounds like one of those like compilation albums from england in the 80s or something like that right some kind of hits it, album or something it's, it yeah, does it's, sound like a hardcore it actually sounds like a hardcore band title though neil you know they always, always had those like phrases that described that they were fed up you know like there was a lot of hardcore bands have those like names like that well, did, like did, short sentences didn't i think sean, that's it didn't sean if you had cool do a, card, blow didn't, it off. didn't he do a swing band or something didn't he do something so that, i think that 
think that was his brother, right? Was that Royal not? Crown? Oh, okay. Was that that? Wasn't Royal Crown Review? Royal Crown or Review. Or... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's Sean so may have been in too, there. That, I know he's... that sorry, first sorry, couple sorry. Youth Brigade albums are so good. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, Sync with California album is really good, yep. and then they actually did some in the '90s that were really good, like comeback albums that were really. I think it's called "To Sell the Truth" or something like that. That was really good too. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big Youth Brigade fan actually, but I never could care about any of the side, the like spinoff projects. Well, uh, check out if you haven't heard "That's It," give it a go because it That's is. That's it, un- huh? Because okay. it's unmistakably the guitar playing it's obviously a little bit more toned down right than that first kind of sound and fury album or whatever it's called because i'm a big fan of that record too um yeah, yeah um, the sound of fury that's right that's right the compilation yeah. was called sync with california that's right yeah and so but it's unmistakably sean doing his thing right so if you're a fan of that it's worth it you know there might be a couple of tracks on there that you, you like and I'm, I'm sure you could you could find it pretty cheap i don't know if it really ever caught fire um but you know they played a few shows and i was like wow that's that's really interesting tom who's you know Tom's a character, right? So I can imagine him being with Sean. And Sean's like the nicest guy that I've ever met who's really, the diplomatic way to say super confident about himself. Let's just put it like that, right? Because, um, you know, he, but I can't imagine the two of them together. And of course, he didn't last very long. But there, there was some, there's some good stuff on that record. Interesting. So he, of course, so Sean's the, the main force behind punk rock bowling. I mean, he's still a, yeah. Yeah, that's he's still right. a, a key player in the punk scene as it is actually i i love what he does because that punk rock bowling is sort of uh event that sort of caters to the older punk because most of the punk festivals have gone to so many of the newer bands and have gone to all these non-punk bands but you can still count on them having you know the exploited and cox bar and stuff like that so (laughs) yeah yeah so another another side story my friend chris sherry who's the guy that does all the descendants and all artwork he is yeah um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, he's very good He's a lovely, lovely guy. I mean, the super nice guy. Um, you should you should ask him to go on. He's he's just wow. He's he knows everyone. And uh, see, that would he, be cool because it's a different perspective. Because we always talk to musicians. It'd be interesting to talk to. I think an artist. Yeah, and he's just the most positive guy in the whole world. He's like bo- he's like bottled PMA. Do you know what I mean? He is. Uh, he's, he's just such <laughs> a lovely guy. Neil hates that. Neil hates that because he's so negative. <laughs> Neil's just a negative. He's like that's bottled. A, that sounds just like me. I'm Mr. PMA, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Piss yeah. moan. Piss moan always. Yes. Piss PMA, moan argue. Neil. Piss miss, Piss moan always. Yes. But yeah, Chris is a big fan of the punk rock bowling. He knows he knows Sean and those guys. He's I think he's involved somehow. He get, maybe goes and does some art stalls or something there. He does but cool he t-shirts yeah. lots of cool t-shirts like these limited edition t-shirts mm. for bands all the time anyway yeah. i'm sorry go ahead no so no he's but he's just yeah. he keeps telling me how yeah. punk rock bowling is amazing and i should go and everything um but, it, it uh, ain't happening this year right i mean there's I'm, i mean i'm waiting they're like the first the first major punk festival of the year is punk rock bowling it's memorial day end of may i'm just waiting for them to pull the plug because i i i think i just don't think they're gonna dare do it if no. they dare do it i'll dare go it's, but, it's probably just too uh, it, there's too much uncertainty right to, to pull something like that together you've got to be organizing it like months ago right well the problem uh, is it, you, know. you know so the big punk tours and neil and i found this last spring because we were going to go see all these shows last spring we we're so excited we we're going to get together in chicago we we're going to go see all these shows but the truth of the matter is big festivals like that bands tour around them much like rebellion up north yeah and, of course You're so, right. so bands They're... tour around that they'll base you know that's the a big payday for them, and they'll base a whole tour around it. While now, at least here in England, I know it's even worse at the moment. It's a patchwork of what the states will allow. Like some states, mm. you can have shows, and some you can't. So you can't you can't book a tour. You can't book a tour if you can't play California, and New York, which yeah. are two of the states that are shut down. So I, I expect to see the plug pulled on 
punk rock bowling again. Maybe they'll do it in the fall. Like fest, I think in the fall in Florida could could probably still happen depending on. But I don't know that it, it might be more geographical. You know, you might not be able to get the bands from California and New York or whatever. So. Maybe. Yeah. yeah so fest is November, bands, right? What's that? Uh, end of October. Yes. Yeah. Oh, in October. Yeah. So I was lucky to go to fest last year. Actually, I had to go to I had to go to um, Florida oh, that's for a, work. You know, Neil was at the year before. You guys. Uh, no, I was. <laughs> I, no, I was there last year. Hang oh, on, let's think. No, there was so no last fest year. last year. It was 19, no, 19, 2019. 2019. So I was there, I was, what? what? Oh, you guys were both there? That's funny. <laughs> no way. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I had no idea you were there. Damn. Yeah. I just went for I just went for one. I was there for like a day and a half. So I saw, um, I, I went to, because Jawbox was playing, right? And um, I got in touch with him and said, hey, you know, you're sure playing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, no, I I wouldn't have yeah. seen you there. No, <laughs> yeah. no, fair enough. And I did leave the next day as um, Stiff Little Fingers were playing. I kind of was going to my car at that point. So I don't know if you were down the front for Stiff Little Fingers. I had, actually, I had actually just seen them in Chicago. So I didn't. I was there. I went uh, against against me headline the first night with Mast Intruder yeah. and Teenage Bottle Rocket. So I was at that yeah, yeah. one for sure. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, you were in the same. So we're in the same town anyway. Damn. Yeah, I have a friend who lives in Gainesville, so um, I, I was staying with him and stuff. And it was a interest. Uh, we have I we do a whole show about it. It was one of our earliest shows, actually, and it was probably like episode four or something with me oh, slag, slagging off that. fest. Uh, but if, if you enjoy <laughs> if you enjoyed it, maybe you shouldn't, because because uh, that, that was the thing. I couldn't believe a the amount of guys in uh, shorts that were much too short for them, and the amount of hugging that was going on, and it was too much hugging for me. There's no hugging in it, punk rock. So. There's no hugging in punk. Yes. Yeah. We've come to it that was, conclusion. It's funny. I'm a hugger. I like I like a hug, but I know what you mean. It was very it was a super laid back atmosphere, wasn't it? Yeah. The uh, the fest thing. It was like kind of well, cool. It's like you know, hey man, you know, blah blah blah, and it's like, oh okay, it's like kind of Woodstock punk rock kind of stuff. Ne- neither Neil or I are big huggers, even though I've sort of adapted to it because there's a lot of huggers in my local scene here. But <laughs> it, it took all the pressure away when we met. You know, it's just like good good solid handshake. You know. Yeah. Good hot, think... solid handshake. Look a man in the eye. Hey, take care, buddy. You know, no, no pressure to do the hug. So it was nice. Yeah, I think it, in yeah, you've got to know, you've got to know your audience. You know, there are some people I wouldn't hug. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I, think there are you, other... I think if you tried to hug someone in Liverpool in 1978, you might not, you might not have woken up. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is a new thing for me. Probably the last ten years or so. It's certainly something you wouldn't do before. You know, apart from the fact Neil, goes, Neil goes in for a hug, he's probably going to go for a quick grope too. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, depends. <laughs> oh man where were we where, where are we this is this has been a strange a strange flow of events but that's how we like it just sort of sort of random <laughs> that's what makes it where, where are we at neil pull, usually it's my job to pull us back around but i'm gonna throw it to you pull us back around where are we at all Let's right well we'll gather uh, our thoughts ed's next band uh that we're gonna play is something uh by k-line correct mm. so uh, k-line that's right yeah so yeah. let's let's Named play after the great oh, k-line detroit tigers outfielder <laughs> I'm guessing that probably not, but exactly. <laughs> well, let's play what? the song. Let's play the song, and then and then you can uh, then you can tell us a bit about the band. So, um, cool. Yeah. So this is K Line with "Count It Down" from 2003. <laughs>
was. That was K-Line. Um, K-Line. Oh, K-Line. If, if you were looking for that, yeah. Um, so what? So so just to put a little bit of a time frame on this before you tell us about K-Line, you've been working a full-time job. You've been working a, like a regular job since what, what year approximately? Um, 2000 and, let's think, no, 98. 98. 90, okay. Hang on, then, 94. Sorry, 94. I was 28 when I finally gave up. Wow, that's pretty good, job. though. Yeah, so I survived till I was 28. So 94 is when I entered the workforce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm just trying to put it in perspective here. Okay, so K-Line was early 2000s? Yeah, and, and so what happened was then it, this whole kind of entering the workforce thing and having a proper job kind of is why I kind of dropped out of things musically for a few years. So from that kind of period for like five years, I was just kind of learn, earning a living and trying to trying to. And I got really into the Internet as well because I had this attraction with the Internet and kind of this kind of if I have to have a proper job, then, you Pornography. know, I, come on, Ed, you can say it. Pornography. Well, now I, <laughs> I would say that's why our connection. That's why our connection is so good this morning. It's too early yeah, for people to be right. waking up and jerking yeah, exactly. off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I, oh, now that you mentioned pornography, I was about to say, let's not go into that. But like, but I feel like I need to explore it now that just so it doesn't look like it was about pornography. But. <laughs> So I was working. Sorry I was working. A, I was working at British Telecom just very briefly, and I and this guy called me over. I'd been there a couple of weeks. Called me over. She says, "Hey, look at this picture." And it was a photograph, like um, of, of like a NASA photograph from the internet. Now you got to remember, '94, right? The internet was all gray screens, you right. know, and uh, mosaic web browser. And I said to him, "Well, what's that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's a picture of you know whatever planet from from NASA." And I go, "What do you mean that's from NASA?" He goes, "Oh, it's a, from a server in Florida or something." And I was like, what, what How the fuck, you know, what's that all about? So he told me about the internet. And my first question was, cause he said, so it's this, it's this network of computers that talk to each other all over the internet. And I remember saying to him, well, who owns that? And he said, nobody. And I was like, I'm into this, whatever this is, this sounds cool. Right. And if I couldn't be in a band and have that kind of network of kind of punk rockers around the world and talk to them, this sounded like a good way to earn a living is being involved in that. So anyway, so I kind of did that for a few years, but then I ended up moving back to London, uh, 99. And, and needed to get a band together basically because it had been been too long and so we ended up with this band k-line um and it's named after there's a global shipping company called k-line i think they're from japan or possibly oh yeah yeah i see them on uh, like the train car boxes yeah, exactly That's where I yeah yep, it's a yep. kind of it's a kind of dark red with a white k-line and and the when I'd been working for British Telecom, we were right by a big um, freight yard for the for the docks because it was Felixstowe, which is one of the big ports in the UK. And I was like, K-Line, that's a kind of like a cool sounding unloaded, you know, un there's no real reference to that in terms of a, a band name, right? You know, it doesn't mean like something. So I thought if I ever do a band, I'll call it K-Line. So normally that's the hardest part about being in a band, right? It's coming up with a name, but I had the name ready. And so I got not, back not to- Not for band. Neil. He's got like 15 of them written down in the notebook. <laughs> 15? <laughs> I've, I've got like 100. I've got like yeah, a he's pushing 60 years old. He's got like a ton of, a ton of he's ready for his band. <laughs> yes. There you go. Well, that's good. I like, I like someone to come prepared, you know, bring something to the table. That's what but we'll yeah. do, Neil. Every, every time we'll switch band names, we'll put out one album or one seven inch and then switch band names. Yeah, they're, and they're all offensive. So it's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> class that's what we want so you anyway, i just so it was basically getting getting back into being in a band and um there was uh i met a drummer um james who's still the drummer in my band today we've been through a lot since you know 99 we've been playing in bands off and on since then he he came with a singer um and i got paul the guy from sync who'd been my, the bass player with me and we formed k-line and um just had a fucking great time because it was one of those things where the pendulum had shifted right so i'd gone through the, some of the 90s kind of 
hating the fact that you know I had to have a proper job and I was bitter and no one no one loves me and all this kind of thing and then and then suddenly coming out in 99 I'm like an old man and I'm like fuck I'm still in a band this is amazing like I can still do yeah. this and you so I like, appreciate it yeah, yeah exactly and just the idea that I'm still allowed to do this and I can get up and do this is is now like so I enjoy every second of it there's never a moment of like you know stroppiness or kind of oh you know this is the you know I'm not I'm too good for this it's like no fuck that so I've enjoyed my time in music since 99 much more than probably the time when I was being more productive and getting out there and doing much more stuff you know there's always that kind of you know trying to make a career out of it and obviously, you know, that only happens to a few people. So, yeah, so K-Line was together for about three, four years. We split up in 2004, which is around the time that my, my kids arrived. And, and and the drummer, James, had two kids at that point. I remember during rehearsals, I don't know how he did it, but during rehearsals, we'd be arguing about, you know, what, what, what change to make next to the song. We turn around, he'd be literally asleep at the drum kit. You know, <laughs> he had like a two-year-old and then he, his, his wife, his, sorry, partner had just given, given birth to another kid and he's still out rehearsing. And, and at the time, I, I, you know, because until you have kids, right, you don't know anything about it, right? You right. know, and, um, and I talk to him now, I go, I can't believe you did that. But he would regularly fall asleep at the drum kit at rehearsals. And uh, anyway, we, well, I'm really proud of it. We did like, um, we did a, a full-length album called um, How Are You Gonna Scare Us Now? Which is like, you know, about that whole politics of trying to keep people afraid and stuff right and uh and we did uh two or three eps uh Boy, that ain't gotten that politics of keeping people afraid ain't gotten any better over the last 20 years <laughs> no, it's just it? worse exactly. and worse isn't it yeah oh, yeah, we peaked. yeah no absolutely <laughs> yeah well you you kind of hope we have you know let's hope it doesn't <laughs> yeah, that's true true Knock on wood. <laughs> you know and uh yeah but we just had a great time doing that and i, I met uh, you know I, it was good for me as well because I, I met a whole bunch of uh, people i'd not met before because there's obviously these in those five years i wasn't playing in bands a whole bunch of people had joined the scene and you know they'd already been a band so i just got to meet a whole bunch of new people and it was great so things have gone on since then really and since then i'm not really not really stopped you know um uh but anyway yeah so we played the song already didn't we yeah we did yeah. Yes. So, so tell me something with 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 K Line, which is your kind of low pressure band. You're not trying to make it. You're mm-hmm. just doing it, playing with your friends and and enjoying yourself. Do you do you go back and occasionally th- do you throw in a stupid song? Do you throw in uh, songs from some of your past bands, or is this just its own thing? Yeah. No, that was very much his own thing. So I've 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 been very fortunate a couple of times to meet uh, Tim Kerr from the Big Boys, right? Who oh, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't call a friend, but Tim is such a lovely guy that to know him, I guess, is to just be his friend, right? He's very much mm. about bringing people together and shit. And he was in London. I met him in London a couple of times for some weird reason. Cause, you know, he's an artist now as well. He paints, and it was a, a show. Um, and does I was, he still does he still play music? He does. He he does do music, and and but he he's he's been very much this thing where he was having a chat with me um, about the big boys right and he was talking i think at one point he was saying oh yeah i think you know um, this is before um uh randy died but he was talking about oh yeah i think you know someone wants to try and get the band back together and i'm just like no we always look forward man you should always look forward just do the next thing right and i don't really take things that people say to heart but that really struck a chord with me and i was like yeah because i kind of that's what i've been subconsciously doing anyway and so it's a bit like yeah I, i've got no interest really in, in doing anything like that so every everything is its own thing and I guess that's partly because I've never done anything that's been successful enough to, <laughs> to revive it. Yeah, play the hits. Play, well, play the because the big the big boys are one of those bands that were big enough where, like, a riot fest or somebody like that would could potentially pay them big money to get back together. 
yeah, exactly. And I think that was the context under which he was talking. There's the, you know, oh, so-and-so wants to do it. And, but he, so he does lots of kind of um, more roots music stuff now. You know, um, last time I mm. saw him, he was playing in Brixton with um, a kind of a kind of bluegrass review where he kind of plays the banjo and stuff. Um, but just Tim's one of those all-around nice guys, you know, really lovely guy. And uh, to hear him say that was, was really cool. And I thought, yeah, let's just let's just keep moving forward. Okay, Ed, so I th- I, I, I'm going to have to ask you. So <laughs> everybody, everybody you've mentioned so far has either been really nice or really positive. Or the, I, I need to, by, before the end of this interview, we have to find out who is a complete asshole. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, need, I need to know. We need to know. Well, we may already... We, we may already have talked about some of them. I just have been putting a nice spin on it. Yeah. Okay. I think I know. I think I know one of the ones that you're you, talking uh, about. Okay. You, you ever have any, we used to always ask. We asked a lot of people this question, but and you're from the, you're from the, a different school, so this might might be totally off base. But did you ever uh, did you ever play with the Ramones, or do you have ever have any interaction with any of the Ramones? So I the the answer to that is not really. I have some great first-hand story so sorry first-hand being that the people that experienced it told me the story right so i've got some great ramon stories but the closest i got was I, we, we hitched around england for what their tour there um 1984 they came over in 84 and did a tour and i think i hitched around with a friend from college and we saw we saw them like they waved at us when they walked into the venue one time but no, I've got no direct stories, but some very funny second. So that would have been like too tough. The too tough to die tour. Yeah, too tough to die, and then the that animal great, play as well. Great era for yeah. them, actually. I, I like that. I think that's underrated. Oh yeah, yeah. But, okay, um, so you're not going to tell us a story about Marky being a total jerk. I was, I was really hoping, but that's all right. So I have got a Marky story if you want to hear it. Yes, it's a real quick one. Of course. So JJ from um, Toxic Reasons told me this story, right? So Toxic Reasons were playing with them. And for some reason, it's one of those times when the Ramones were, I think, using his kit for whatever reason. You know, they fell on hard times, didn't they, for a while? And um, so so they're playing and he's he's watching the sound check because, like, you know, fucking hell, the guy, the Ramones are using his drum kit. All right. And um, he sees them sound checking and he's like, oh, Marky keeps looking down at the floor, Tom, like there's something wrong, like fiddling with something. And they, they finish the sound check and JJ kind of rushes over and kind of goes, he's going to say, hey, hey, dude, is there a problem with with the with the drum kit? Can I help? And he realizes that he's taped a comic book to the floor, Tom, and he's literally <laughs> reading it and he's turning the pages. And that's what he's doing. So he's playing the song and then turning the page while he just carries on sound checking. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, well, apparently yeah. talk about being an autopilot, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, okay, it was just the sound check, but he, JJ thought that was hilarious. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> a good one. Yeah. All right, where are we at, Neil? Rega- re- regather us again. I know, I was just going to say Toxic Reasons, another band where the drummer would often sing. There was a, you, don't, you don't hear many, you know, don't see many hardcore bands where the drummer sings, but uh, Toxic Reasons are one of them. Yeah, I ran into them again at um, Rebellion about two, three years ago. Yeah. And... Uh, and just went up for a quick chat. I mean, they didn't remember me. They stayed at my house in 86 when they came over and did a, they did a peel session. Bad Dressings played with them at the 100 Club. And um, they were just really nice. And they did a peel session. They stayed at my um, my apartment again, the not apartment, but my dorm room. And I ran up to them and goes, hey, tough DJJ, you know, you stayed at my house in 86. And they were just lovely, really nice people. Yeah, they, uh, actually, they actually came to a party at the shitty guy house when I was living down in Champagne. They played in Champagne right. and then they came and they came and partied with us that night. Uh, they, <laughs> they were really fun guys, really fun guys, but they rubbed off, uh, they rubbed some of the people the wrong way. And uh, they, got, they got the name Toxic Weasels was one of the, <laughs> was one of the things that people called them. But uh, I liked them a lot. I thought they were brilliant. Mm, yeah no they're really nice and they just seemed again you know meeting them the other couple of years ago they just seemed to be again really just pleased to be still there and doing it you know that kind of thing yeah 
So you said you like to look forward, not look back. I mean, if if some if if the like rebellion. Okay, you guys might not have enough of American name to you know. I don't think Riot Fest is going to pay you big money to get back together. Yeah. But if Riot Fest like a rebellion says, anyway, we, so you know. But if a rebellion says we need to, we need to have the stupids with Ed Shred. I mean, are you? Are, are, <laughs> is is there is there a window there, or is it? You think at this point you could pretty much? Eh, it's probably not going to happen. Well, I think that they, they would never ask that because the stupids are already doing. The stupids are already there. You know? They don't need you anymore, huh? They don't. They never did. <laughs> no. <laughs> So you is K-Line still an active entity? I mean, you guys, I mean, obviously 2020, nobody played at all. But, I mean, are you, in 2021, do you see you guys playing some shows? Or, oh, we have a new band now, I think, right? I mean, we, we, we can we can segue into this, but you have a, you're in a band called Dealing With Damage, correct? Oh, okay, yeah. there's a new band. Yeah, so so what happened with, um, so K-Line split up in, in 2004, basically. Um, I guess it's just one of those, <laughs> again, I can't tell you the real story. Anyway, so we, we, we split up. <laughs> After we're done recording. <laughs> but they're all absolutely lovely people, all of them. There we and, go again. Uh, they're all lovely people. I think, <laughs> I think, I think Trump said that, didn't he? Did, didn't didn't Trump say that about the, uh, the Nazis? Yeah, the rioters. They're, yeah. they're lovely people. <laughs> yeah. There we are. So you know, the funny thing is, Neil, because I wonder if it's because Neil has been an American for so long. Because you always you always talk to these. Most, most of the English guys are so, like, diplomatic. They always have that certain like uh, just won't go low, and I think it, is it because you've been living in America so long, Neil. Like you almost can't go high anymore. Like you almost lost all your diplomacy. <laughs> it makes it interesting, doesn't it? If people, yeah, he was a complete asshole. That's what we need to know. So, so that quote from Michelle Obama is actually when Neil goes low, we go high. <laughs> when Neil goes low, he stays low. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Right. But yeah, no, so. We, 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 we split up and then three of us carried on a new band and then for whatever reason that just never happened so that kind of petered out and then I did um I did a record kind of because I wanted to keep playing um, and so I did one of those kind of and it's like the brave new world of like the, the 21st century so I did one of those kind of albums on the internet kind of thing which is sure. kind of like um sort of a solo project but i got people in the states involved some guys from cleveland were involved some guys from new york and then people from from the from the uk and we put together a a, a big ray record which is kind of this kind of um non-punk project that i've been doing we've done like four albums now so they've been that's been going ongoing since 92 93 kind of in parallel with the punk rock stuff um and then um and then luckily the guys who I wanted to be in a band with, which were the two guys from K-Line, finished the next band that they were in and they were available again. So we kind of all met up again. So in, um, I guess, about three years ago, we formed Dealing With Damage and we have kind of been going ever since. We've got a, 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 a proper lineup now. It was the drummer from K-Line and myself. This is James, the guy who used to fall asleep at rehearsals. His kids are now like going to college and, and all that yeah. stuff. You know, things have moved on. So he, he doesn't fall asleep so much anymore. And... Um, <laughs> And then a uh, guy, Andy, and, and Paul, a different Paul. I've got three bass players called Paul. The, ba- the Bad Dressings bass player was called Paul. The Sync bass player was called Paul. Uh, and in fact, that first Paul was also in the Stupids with me. And um, then my new bass player is called Paul. So they call each other kind of Paul 1, 2, and 3. Well, that's how we kind of refer to, <laughs> to them when we're in a conversation. Because it's like Paul, and it's like, which Paul? Uh, Paul number 3 or whatever. Uh, it's like so, anti-flight. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. <laughs> they got the same thing. They got yeah, they members. do. They do. Damn. What do you think about them? Uh, I think that I like their first couple of albums, and I think their recent stuff is god awful. But um, you know, that's me. What about you, too, Tom? Little, the sound is the sound is a little too polished anymore. I, I I don't know. I have mixed feelings about them because I don't really like them, and I don't listen to their records. But I remember going to like Warp Tour with my daughter, and every other band was so god awful that when Annie Flag came on, I'm like, this is these guys are really good. Sure. I okay. still think they're a pretty decent live band. 
they have a little bit of shtick, a little too much shtick for me at yeah, this point. Yeah, that's but... not why it's that's because I was yeah I saw them in a you, good, you go see yeah. them and you're like wow this is a really powerful statement. You see them three more times, wow they say the same thing every show. <laughs> exactly that that's the thing right? But I guess they know what they're doing right? I mean who am I to say that they it's, um, it's sort of like right a thing. I would call them like an entry level political band. Like yeah, if you're, you're right. It's like a gateway band, right? To yeah. That kind of... Yeah, that but you know, of... some of us have already been through the gate and back out the other side, not really interested <laughs> in that anymore. So yeah, I think that's it. There's going to be someone in every audience going, "Fucking hell, that's you know, I'm mind blown," kind of thing. And then yeah. there's the rest just kind of going, "Ah, you know." <laughs> but you know, but... yeah, it's it's you know, I, I at the at the end of the day, I'm not really into them, but I think they're sincere guys. I think they're good dudes. I don't really want to disparage them personally, but yeah, they don't. Their records <laughs> haven't done anything for me for at least a decade. <laughs> Yeah, I you can leave ones. that to me, Tom. I'll disparage people. Well, yeah, but yeah. that's but that's the way I feel about most of these guys. If I feel like somebody's heart's in the right place, even if I don't like what they're doing, I don't really have any dis you know dislike of it. You know, I, I think when you're young, when you're a young person, there's only two kinds of music, and I think Neil still like this, despite the fact that he's not a young person. <laughs> there's only two kinds of music. There's music. That's that you like, and there's music that sucks. But when you get older, <laughs> you can real you can look at stuff and say, "Well, listen, that's not I'm not into that, but I can still appreciate the fact that it's, and and I don't care what other people like. You know what I mean? I don't want everybody to like the music I like. I've I've said this to Neil all the time. Why do you want everybody to like the music you like? You won't be able to keep your air of superiority if everybody liked what you like. You know, <laughs> you have to keep that. So yeah. anyway, I, I can appreciate music even if I don't even if I don't like it. I think I think that's that's perfectly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Exactly. You know, that, uh, what confuses me sometimes is music that um, when I can't see why anyone else would like it. You know, there's lots of music I don't <laughs> like, like but I can go, well, I, I can totally see why other people like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, it's just but it's interesting. But I think you're right. This just this seems to be I mean, the whole punk scene in, in my world. Right. They're kind of my version of the punk scene. Everyone is just generally people are just really nice now. I mean, it used to be really, you know, scary sometimes going the ones who survived are glad to still be there but yeah, you gotta that's, that's like understand my situation i have a and i think by mm. the sounds of it you probably have teenage kids too mm-hmm. so i have a i actually have a couple kids in college also and but and i but my youngest daughter is 13 years old she is obsessed with one direction i if i hear harry styles one more time i swear i'm gonna blow my brains out but i mean i'm i'm i that's the music that i can't understand why people like the like just pure pop music but if somebody's trying to do something interesting even if i don't like it i can usually have respect for it but yeah i like i said having two teenage daughters man we went through taylor swift times (laughs) jonas brothers one direction i mean this is this is my my private hell worst is when you hear it enough you actually start singing along to it (laughs) exactly because you don't know what it is but you just sing along you're like like... you are singing taylor swift you're like oh boy i hope nobody's watching me I hope Neil's not watching me. He's gonna yeah. bust my ass. <laughs> the, the, the first time I heard the 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 the, the name uh, One Direction, for some reason I thought they were a mod band because you know that would be yeah, the kind of thing yeah. like a, like a mod band in the eighties in England where they'd all be called things like Reaction Direction or something, you know. So I was like One Direction, the famous mod band, and then it was like, oh, I guess that's not what this <laughs> is at all. Boy band put together by one of your country's worst exports, Simon Cowell. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought isn't he American by now? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> what about Piers Morgan? Know. What about Piers Morgan? We don't want him. We don't, don't want any of them, honestly. Piers Morgan. <laughs> Piers Morgan's fine. He says he says what he wants, right? He just it's says true. What actually, he wants. he's one of the few people who's not afraid to take the piss out of these sort of crazy ultra PC celebrity culture. So good for him. 
I think in recent in recent um, so say in the last year he said stuff which kind of more aligns with stuff. <laughs> you know, I think in the past he said some stuff and um, obviously been editor of the Sun, which is like a kind of a quite a right not a right wing but right of center kind of newspaper. But it's a lot of boobs on page three. That's what I want to know. I don't know if it still does. I honestly don't know to be mm. honest. Mm. I think mm. probably not. So you know. <laughs> so what use? So what? So what use is it? Yeah. Well, you listen. If you have a bird, you have to put something on there. Hey, but hold on. I want to get back to this. So, why did you ask me about anti-flag? You had you had some kind of no, just because, just because, yeah, because you were trying to make, get me to be nasty about someone, and I was like thinking, well, I saw them once, and they were fucking awful. But, um, <laughs> but again, there was, we go. But then, but then Tom put it in such a night. Nice, but Tom sums up exactly what I thought, just in a kind of less. Uh, Less acerbic terms, should we say? I've seen some awful bands, dude. Don't get me wrong. I've I've really seen some awful bands, and you know, um, I'm trying to think. Like I might, like I said, I have daughters, and you know, we went to see a bunch of shows. Like I went and saw with my daughter Fallout Boy, and I just this. It was like this is <laughs> this is just awful. I mean, this is a platinum selling band. This these guys are millionaires mm. from dude, this band. The, they suck so hard. One of the worst things I've ever seen, I was tr- taken to see Vampire Weekend, and that was maybe the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life, and the place was fucking packed, and uh, just so bad. My, I remember my, my dad, when I was a kid, take, taking me to a couple of shows, and and I didn't realize what a, like a sacri- like how selfless he was being by, <laughs> by doing that. You know what I mean? Until I had kids of my own and I went and saw some of these god awful shows. Now, granted, back then it was probably like ten bucks, twelve bucks. Now it's like fifty bucks to sit in the freaking bleachers to watch Fall Out Boy or something. But well, luckily my my daughter who was so musically involved, she's she's in college now. She can go do that stuff by herself. Even though once in a while, I still if shows come back, I'll try to take her to a show once in a while just for old mm-hmm. times. But yeah, man. shows got expensive, didn't they? In the UK as well, man. I mean, the last sort of ten years, shows well, the, have just got the big oh. shows. The punk shows are still the same. It's like these guys must be broker than ever. The punk shows are still twelve bucks. No, let me tell you, I got th- I got thrown out of the Naked Dragon group because Naked Dragon did a show with. Uh, Jaw- got thrown out. That's funny. Well, with <laughs> with Jawbreaker, they did a show with Jawbreaker when when Jawbreaker did the reunion tour, or whatever. Oh, 20, yeah. 2018, It was probably 2017, 2018 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were playing the Metro. And on oh, oh, maybe the Aragon in Chicago. And the tickets were like starting at eighty bucks. And mm. I was like, What the fuck are you guys doing? This is supposed to be a punk rock show. How can it be eighty bucks? And the amount of hate I got over that was ridiculous. And mm. but I was like, listen, public image is playing next week and they're thirty five. So how is Jawbreaker charging eighty bucks? And well, uh, anyway. it's a it's a matter of it, it I mean hey, I hate to say it, Neil, but you know, ultimately at the end of the day I'm a capitalist and it's a matter of, you know, scarcity. Jawbreaker hadn't played, you know, they'd been split up for, you know, apparently public image is less, you know, less people want to see that. I mean, I, I agree with your, with your concept that it's, it's all screwed up and people should be more interested in see public image. Of course, public image can kind of suck too, but. Well, yeah, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was the price of the tickets. It was the thought that yeah. they could charge 80 bucks. It's like Phil Collins well, if, or if some people shit will pay it, If people will pay it, then they can charge 80 bucks. Yeah, I don't know how many people, I don't know if it, if, you know, if it was full or anything people like that. I, I don't know how well. People like 35 to 40 think that Jawbreaker is like the Sex Pistols. No, like, stop people, it. People my age and up, like. <laughs> You know, me, I'm 40, I'm 47, pushing 48. I, I just, I never cared about them at all. But to a younger, to people a little younger, they were a big band, man. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, it I is, just thought that was It is what it is, you know. It's music, my music, the music I grew up to, I don't, you know, my kids have something different. You know, every generation has something 
something different. And as much as I would love my kids to listen to the Sex Pistols, I don't need my kids to listen to the Sex Pistols. That wasn't their music, you know. You don't need them to listen to Jawbreaker either, though. Well, I'm pretty sure they don't. But like I said, we've been through. Listen, you you know your kids are little. They listen to all crazy kinds of crazy stuff. And I've I've gone through this. I said my youngest is is 13, and I'm, and I know that they'll eventually look back and like, wow, that was really awful music I listened to. But it's just a stage everybody has to go through. You know, the first records I bought, Neil, were like Phil Collins. You know, I mean, it was you know it was what it was. Hey, okay, Ed, what was the first record that you ever bought? Um. So the I, also oh, God, I'm trying to think. I think the first record I <laughs> no, the first record I kind of went out of my way to buy, I think, was the, the Boomtown Rats album, Fine Art of Surfacing. Oh, nice one. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Which isn't that? You're um, a little younger than Neil. Yeah, I'm a couple just years a little than bit Neil. though. He's only a couple of years younger than me. Yeah, 66. Yeah. I was born in 66. Um, I well, I don't know when that album came out, but I'm guessing like 79, 80, something like that. Maybe yeah, it was like the second or third album, I think. Yeah. Yeah, second or third album, and then straight after that, I think the next thing I got was like London Calling or no, something. No, no, but how about a single? How about a, you must have bought a single, an embarrassing single when you were younger. Oh God, yeah. So I, well, I, I don't know because you know, like I said, my my family wasn't like, and also I lived in Germany when I was a kid, right? So oh. it was only when I moved to England in 1980 that I started going to the record store every were you a military every weekend. Or is your Almost. In so my yeah, my parents were high school teachers, but they taught in the uh, forces schools. Right. Um, so that's, you know, and um, uh, yeah, so they did that. So and, and we moved out there in 71 and lived in Germany. And then I moved back in about 80, 1980. And it, that's when I really started getting into music and going to seeing like um, bands like The Addicts, local bands and going to the record shop every every week, saving up my 96 pence for mm-hmm. um, whichever EP I could get. And I used to buy records then based on how many songs they had. Because, you know, you've got like one record you're going to buy that week, right? And, <laughs> you don't um, want the two-song single. You want the one with six songs. Out exactly. Of. So that's yeah. why I bought Six Pack by Black Flag when it came out. Because I thought there'd be six songs on it. And, um, <laughs> like three, wasn't it? And it was only three. And, of course, it kind of like really terrified me. Because it was so brutal compared to the, some, the stuff I was listening to, you know, at the time. Which would be more like, you know, the UK wave of yeah, 80, yeah. 81. You know, which I was a big Discharge fan, but there's something even more un- unsettling about that six-pack EP. It was terrifying. Um, but now I absolutely love it. I still have that same same copy. But yeah, I bought a few. You know, if you're going to base things purely based on how many songs there are, you're not always going to get the best quality <laughs> release. So I bought a few things. But I, yeah, I can't remember. Um, honestly, Neil, I can't remember because I think by the time I was buying records, it was literally because I was into punk and I was buying proper records. Yeah. So sorry mine was so you, don't, uh, you don't have like you don't have like yummy 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 i got love in my tummy or something like that on seven inch somewhere no i did buy some stuff that was kind of embarrassing just because i liked it you know i mean but not embarrassing really i don't know big bangles fan so i got lots of bangles records and, and all those kind of things but yeah did, did you did you walk like an Egypt, egyptian in the early 80s <laughs> i, no, I did you know they 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 played in london a few times and they played one show and um at the end, they played uh, they played a song and they invited everyone to get up on stage, which is crazy because it was like 2,000 people in the room. But I remember climbing up on stage for the encore and I was um, sitting on the floor because they go, right, and sit down. So we're just sitting on the stage and then they start playing this song, um, No Escape, I think it's called By the Seeds, right? Which is, you know, that's on the 60s garage yeah, band, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And um, they start playing it. But I only knew that song as like the B-side of a Chelsea single, okay? So Chelsea had put like No Escape, I think it's the B-side of Right to Work, right? Yep, that's right. 
right. So I'm sitting there on stage with the Bengals going, fucking hell, this is great. I'm on stage with the Bengals. And they're playing a Chelsea song. Oh, my God. This is insane. <laughs> and it was so funny thinking they were playing like an obscure punk rock B-side. Because I was always aware of these kind of crossovers between bands like, you know, the Go-Go's and the punk scene and stuff like that. Sure. And so this is like almost like my dream coming true. Like the Bengals are playing an obscure punk single. It's years later I realized that, you know, it's like being a jam fan and then and then years later hearing the small faces and the Beatles and stuff and going oh, oh shit they literally stole everything yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's like that yeah Paul Weller's gonna do you in he just told me he just texted yeah. me and said he's gonna fight you so you know <laughs> Neil and Paul very tight oh god his solo so what, so stuff what, is so you're still dire. doing the um, dealing with damage is like still an active entity like in 2021 you hope to play some shows or at least 2022 or something you guys are still a viable yeah, entity yeah yeah and, and exactly you know it's i just it feels like it's a really good place we've got four people that genuinely love kind of hanging out with each other and playing and also really appreciate the fact that we can still play and yet we're still as well kind of you know our mission is to um i guess you know write interesting songs it's, it's exact exactly what you're talking about you know we're with a band that tries to have every song in the album not sound like every other song in the album is, is it a punk i mean dealing with damage sounds like a punk right i mean it's a punk band hardcore band yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so there'll be a variety of stuff. And I mean, what's really interesting choosing these six songs for you for for, for the show was that I've always prided myself on, um, you know, ever since I've been able to do so from the sync days onwards, like every album will have a whole bunch of variety on it. And it was really interesting choosing a song from each band and yet realizing that those songs were all kind of the same. <laughs> but yet, actually, from each album they came from, there'd be a, a real kind of lot of variety on that. Um, but dealing with damage is. Um, yeah, it's something I read in a book once, right? And about this idea that we all, no matter where we are in life and how kind of privileged or whatever, we're all dealing with some sort of thing from our past, right? You know, there's, we are who we are because of what's happened to us and stuff like that, right? Um, yeah. And so, uh, and you know, there's a lot of mental health stuff going around, especially at the moment, right? Mental health issues and all that stuff. And I think it's really great that there's, there's an awareness of all that shit now, you know, so that kid that more, really more on the open. Yeah. Yeah. Those people that just annoy you sometimes, you know, at high school or whatever, or just people in the punk scene you've met who are just like really impossible to deal with. You suddenly go, well, maybe there's more to it than they're not just assholes. You know, there's something to it. And I think that's, that's great. Well, they're, they're, you know? They could be just assholes, but it's because of some other reason. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just great. I think it's really important. Anything that takes us outside of ourselves and makes us look at a situation from someone else's perspective, it's got to be a good thing. Right. And, um, sure. You know, my son's like on the autistic spectrum as well. And he's kind of like projecting like what his life might be if he goes through life being misunderstood by everyone. So kind of dealing with damage, we talk about that type of stuff a bit, you know, kind of making just kind of spreading that awareness. That's kind of like the raise. That's kind of one of the, you know, because, again, middle class white guy, right, straight. You know, there's not a lot of stuff I can talk about that's, you know, that I feel is like a burning issue for lots of people. So that was one thing that I thought, well, okay, that's something you could do in a band that's like a meaningful thing. You know, it's not enough for me just to sing about skateboarding. And, but you're and, not going to beat us over the head with it. You're not going to beat us No, exactly. Stuff, that's right? the thing. Yeah. Well, you could listen to the album and not know what that stuff's about. But I've definitely had people come up to me after shows and going, go and, oh, I know what this is about. You know, my son's autistic or I'm, I'm this, I'm that, talking to me about stuff. So it's been a really great thing to do. That's very much just like a sideline of it. You know, the, the main thing is just getting together and making some good music, you know, and meeting people. And, you know, so we had a great time. We played with a whole bunch of great people in the, the year 2019 you know before it all fell apart and um we had some big plans so we're now halfway through the second album um, but we've had to stop we've done six songs or five songs and uh we're looking forward to finishing that off and, and just getting on with it you know well, we play every let's couple play a song. Weeks, really which is great yeah let's, yeah, play, let's so play a song. song i think is called slow shadow yep. i guess is that is that the one i sent yeah that is it okay yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, dealing with damage with Slow Shadow. Shadow there by dealing with damage and uh, yeah. So so it's funny Neil and, and this is once again totally off topic but we we just recorded a, a show last night with a we, we actually had our first female guest and it was really good and it went really long and we joked about the fact that I think our previous record had been two hours and twenty minutes. Yes, sir. I can say with a pretty great deal of confidence and and so the and, and, and yeah, the one we did yesterday ended up being two twenty five with music. Yep. I am pretty confident that we have, one day after that, set a new record. I think I think we're easily a tooth with the music. We're easily a tooth. Well, and the yet. thing, and the fact of the matter is, I feel like we could go another two hours, but we're not trying to do Joe Rogan, you know. <laughs> True enough. I mean, it's like it's like literally. I think this show for a lot of people, it'll be enough to listen to back and forth the work the whole next week. I think I'll enjoy it though. Yeah, it's been, it's been no, great, I, I, yeah. I agree. As a matter of fact, I think we we. Could probably do another two hours later on, just about all the assholes he's come across in his life. <laughs> if he's re- when he's ready, because he said he said he's only like after two or three beers he gets real loose. So we'll have to figure out a way. Like Neil, we'll have to do it like uh, 
like our afternoon where he's like you know ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. Where he's hammered on his uh, on his double brand or whatever he's, he's drinking. Because he's yeah. he's a very he's a very diplomatic man, no question about it. And it's it's funny, Ed, because like between the two of us, I kind of have to be the diplomatic one. Yeah. It's like <laughs> we're good cop, we're good cop, bad cop, and I think it's pretty obvious who plays which role. You Even asshole. though once in a while, I'll get a, once in a while I'll get a snootful and we'll we'll swap. But for the most part, for the most part, Neil's the guy smacking him around, and I'm the guy going, "We just want to help you, buddy. We just want to help you. You tell us, you tell us the truth. You tell us the truth, and we'll help you." Yeah, we'll help you. We'll cut you a deal. Yeah, well, I think, Tom, what you should do, Tom, is send me over some of the, the some some of that that good craft beer. Send me a case, and uh... <laughs> it's like a thousand dollars to ship a six pack over. I bet. Ah, uh, yeah, I know shipping. I tell you what, my friends, because I I'm I know you guys are both vinyl collectors, right? So I've had to really get off that train. Um, and I, so I, because I've got, just got too much physical shit in my life in terms of um, stuff, or I got too much stuff, well, right? I got a house. Else. Keep that. Well, I keep all the stuff that I've done and all the stuff my friends have done, you know, but, but, um, what was I going to say? Oh, fucking bollocks. I've lost my train of thought now. Um, you said you were, you have got a lot of stuff. You can't collect vinyl. I know. That's what I said, but I can't remember why I said it. When I said no, you, it was about shipping. It was about shipping. Oh, no, wait, shipping. No, wait, no, wait. no, I've remembered. Thank you, Neil. That's yeah. exactly what it is. So all the guys, uh, two of the guys in my band, and a lot of the friends, you know, in my in my kind of group of friends in the punk scene, are still huge collectors of vinyl. You know, and there's always these reissues coming out and stuff. A lot of stuff comes from the states, and they just can't afford to buy it. The shipping is so expensive these days; it's insane. And that's a real change, right? I don't know why, because it wasn't like that. We used to buy import records from the states all the time, but it seems in recent years it's just got prohibitive that the cost of records. Well, it's because they're so yep. heavy, right? I mean, the, that's one of the things too. I mean, the records are expensive by themselves, but just they're, mm. they're heavy, so shipping is uh, shipping is expensive. Even though it hasn't stopped me, I've had stuff shipped from Japan, and obviously a lot of stuff from Europe. I get a lot of good stuff from Germany and Spain. Um, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why Neil still has to go back for like a two week visit to England every other year. Or so and, so and bring extra bags with me. Then you put it on the airplane, they freaking kill you for having heavy bags too. You yeah, know, that's it's like really, a really loose situation. Flying. So, so that dealing with damage, that song we just played is actually, um, uh, so we've got the vine, the album coming out on vinyl, I believe this month or something. It's just, again, it's like you said, the hold up at the pressing plant. Um, so the album came out last year on CD and um, we convinced the label to to go halves with us on uh, doing a vinyl release because, like I said, two of the guys in the band are vinyl junkies, and they're like, it's got to come out on vinyl. I was like, all right, knock yourselves out. But it's nice. So I'm looking forward to seeing the artwork really big and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Now, I want to get your view on this. We went with black rock vinyl, punk rock black vinyl. Okay, we could have had lots of different colors, but the guys were saying that they're kind of sick and tired of buying colored vinyl and having this the quality not be so good or skipping and stuff now i've got oh. no experience in that but i kind of look i'll go with you guys whatever you want but we went with black because we thought that made a statement you can't go wrong you can't go wrong with black and I, I have no issues with with that at all but i think the colored vinyl has come a long way sound wise i don't really notice much difference anymore mm. yeah it has it's not it's not the... like it's not like the 80s where like all the 70s where if the... i if i were in a band right now putting out an album i'll tell you what i would do i don't i don't i don't pretend and I don't want to pretend that I'm going to sell a billion copies of this thing but say if you're doing 500 or a thousand I would do a hundred or 200 in a limited color and do the rest in black that's probably what I would do if yeah. I were doing an album right definitely now. yeah just because yeah, you yeah. do have those you do have those super fans who are willing to pay that extra five bucks go a little above and beyond and it's nice to offer something special for them but most of us are content with 
with Black. And like a lot of people send us records doing this doing this show, you know. Mm-hmm. We'd we'd love every one of you and thank everyone for sending us records. It's been amazing. But usually they send us black. You know, they're not hint, sending hint, us to Ed, color hint, <laughs> So oh, yeah, I can send you one over. Definitely. I just, it's, it, this is our first vinyl we've got. So um, I can definitely send you some vinyl. That would be good. I'm not, that's, I'm not, I'm not hinting that you should send us vinyl. I swear. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying for like promotional purposes, most, most women mm-hmm. black. Like I, I get, I get promo records from pirates press, a label that we, we deal with a lot that I really like. And they usually all do these sweet color variants, but like the promo ones are almost black, always black. <laughs> yeah. So I, we, I'm not sure if the label, uh, are going to be doing any in color. I'd be interested to see what they said because we had a discussion with them. So I think we're paying for half the pressing and they're paying for half because they don't really do. It's, the label's called Little Rocket Records. They're a great label. Um, the guy from, do you know the band Leatherface? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's the bass player from Leatherface. It's his label and he co runs it with um, uh, a group of people or a girl, at least I met her um, from, from um, Canada. So it's a kind of hands across the sea type of type of affair. Um, but they really only do vinyl for like touring bands. But I think that he kind of likes the band and we, we do play enough for him to go. Yeah, OK, fine. Let's just let's do the vinyl. So we've kind of gone half and half on the vinyl. So he may have done some colored stuff. I hope he has. And I can buy one <laughs> because yeah, sure. our ones are going to be all black, you know. Um, mm. But anyway, we're, 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 I think we're pleased it's, it's coming out on vinyl. And if only we had some shows we could sell the damn thing at, then we'd be we'd be set. Yeah. Are you are you even thinking about lineup shows yet, or are you just wait and see? We have some stuff booked for June, right? Which when we when we booked it, kind of back in the in the seemed, fall in autumn, it seemed safe. like a safe bet. I, I, you know, it's it's possible, right? But at the moment, we're not we're not killing ourselves because it's it's too tempting, and it got too you know just last year at all the shows. By the time we got to kind of july and we'd already cancelled like i don't know five five shows that we really were looking forward to playing uh you know friends of ours coming over from new york and we had a great show lined up and that just obviously got cancelled so i think this year we're just we're just focusing on getting songwriting getting an album together and if we can play some shows later in the summer then that would be fantastic so what's i hope the, you can so what's the scene like in, in london are you playing pubs or are you playing clubs or like what it's it's yeah I, I guess it's mainly it's mainly pubs, but they'll be um, they'll have like a dedicated sort of band room. You know, there's, yeah, a, there's yeah, two yeah. or three, and there's a couple of there's a couple of clubs that you can play. Maybe you know um, support. Um, I mean, it's funny you were talking about Seven Seconds, weren't you? On the, the Christmas show, you were talking yeah. about that. We played with them late on in in their career. Kline played with them like 2004, and they were still f- phenomenal. And I can imagine that if they did have a if the drummer Troy had like a condition where he couldn't play anymore, it's because he was an animal even in 2004. I remember going, "Damn, this guy's been doing this for like he's he's a force of nature." Um, but yeah, so that was at the Underworld, which is like a, a proper club, you know, where they where they do shows, and that's probably the biggest kind of venue that. A, a punk band would play so it's a really small scene but it's really friendly it's really vibrant there's shows all the time um you know it's 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 just like a it's a good scene it's a little bit more catholic these days in terms of like you know we used to get hung over have a kind of crossover or crusty or you know hardcore or old school punk and now it's just that you could play a bill and there might be it's all punk under that kind of umbrella but there can be mm. lots of different variations of it and stuff that's and, nice that's good though yeah. actually it is good and there's none of this kind of like oh they're in the they're playing the wrong version of punk and we you know because again it's like who really it's just it's it's unless the, unless they have horns and play yeah. god then that's the wrong <laughs> version right yeah uh, you yeah. pull out the trumpet and everyone's like what the fuck is that yeah <laughs> it's like oh smoke break yeah don't even smoke going outside <laughs> yeah the horn section's coming out and you're like oh okay interesting but yeah there's so, no yeah. hugging in punk and there's no horns in punk right neil 
Uh, yeah, yeah, very, pretty. In your in your version, in your narrow version. No, it's, I, I'm just kidding. We just, <laughs> we just we joke because I know he loves some of those jam albums that had horns on them, right? I could, yeah, pretty solely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I, I can dig that. But no, I can, I, 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 I can remember that Eric's uh, going this back in the day, seventy eight, seventy nine. But it was when the mod thing was was starting, and uh, we were seeing Secret Affair, and uh, mm. Ian Page, the singer, suddenly reaches down and pulls out a trumpet. And because we all just looked at each other like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, well, I'm sure I'm glad I have a tomato in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Was, exactly, yeah. yeah. You reach for that, buddy, I'll reach for this. <laughs> but anyway. All right. We got, we got, we, we, we just, yes. we've, we, we've got to let Ed go. Yes. Neil. Yes. But well, you've, got had, out, you've got to get out of bed, Tom. <laughs> yes. I, I'm that. I actually, I was actually afraid. We, I, I worked last weekend and I've been very tired. I was actually, Hoping I wouldn't need to set an alarm to be up by nine or so, but actually I had a hard time getting my wife out of bed, which is unusual. Usually she's an early riser, but mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I, I uh, it's a little after lunchtime now in Michigan. I suspect it's a beautiful, beautiful day. I don't know how your Midwest weather is by you, Neil, but man, it's, it's nice. bright and cold. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful day. But yeah, I, I feel like I need to accomplish something today. But I, I very much enjoyed talking to you, Ed. You know, I'm always a little nervous when I don't know somebody at all. But it's sort of like we've known each other for years, so well, it's, it's, we've got it's always good. we've got two things in common. We've got um, we both punk, can tolerate punk, Neil. punk rock and, and a healthy respect for Neil McDougal. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say there is something there is like a certain like survivor like people who know Neil and can tolerate him. It's like a survivor's guilt, like a like we have that in common, right? Like we both <laughs> same trauma. You asshole. Well, this, this is it. We we probably met at that support group, Tom, without realizing. There you go. The I Survive Neil put support group. Now, Neil, it's been fantastic catching up with you. These days, we'd say reconnecting with you, but I'm not going to say that. It's just been it's been great spending some time with you again after all this time. Thanks, mate. No, I appreciate that. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put up that photograph of you uh, doing some kind of boost off the wall at the bottom of Studley <laughs> Road. Um, with my with my shorts on. No, no, it probably wasn't, was it? It was probably combat trousers or something. Com- yes, yeah, I think it was combat kicks and Converse. Yeah. The funny thing is, on my road, because I was just there, obviously, and my mom just passed. And um, mm, I'm sorry to hear that. No, thanks, man. And uh, but the only guy that is still living on the road is the guy that lives in that house on the corner where you were boosting off of, and he's just this really? widow. I swear he's got bodies buried in his basement because there has the place hasn't been painted since the seventies, probably. It is like falling <laughs> down. But yeah, that same weird guy still lives there. So yeah, Damn. I'm gonna That's put funny. that picture up if I can find it. I'm gonna put that picture up because that was a good picture. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that was good actually. It made yeah. me look like I could skate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyway, Still man, thanks so much for doing this. Really yeah, it appreciate it. Great, great to meet you, dude. I hope we can reconvene this conversation somewhere. Yeah, we can probably have another two-hour conversation just about uh, all the bands and stuff. Yeah, the DC stuff and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, well yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I am, I do plan to get back to the states. Um, you know, probably 2022 or something. It'd be great to do, um, to to meet up or something, see what's happening. But you know, we'll see what's happening. But thanks so much for asking, and Tom, it's great to meet you. Yeah, you too, man. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Yeah, Thank you. you too. Thanks. You too. Okay. So, uh, yeah, bye, everybody. Um, yeah, stay free. And... You know, Neil's got this this ridiculous sign-off. He keeps adding to it. Eventually, it's going to be like the sign-off is going to be a show in itself. <laughs> but, sorry, Neil. Go ahead. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you, you. I don't want you to keep a little mark in your heart, you no, angry. No, I'm being the you bad angry cop. angry bugger. Yeah. So, <laughs> anybody. Anyway, stay free, everybody. Thanks a lot.